Welcome back, everybody, to Harry Potter... Wait, hold on. Welcome back to We Want More, the Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality Analysis Fan Fiction Podcast. That intro was janky because we haven't sat down to record let's, in let's not like edit that almost all. two weeks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, this, this yeah. week went nuts for me, so we skipped Tuesday, now we're recording Saturday afternoon. But This could be like 48 hours fresh when people get it. I know, right? I figured nope. to warm the mics up and get my brain back in gear, we can go over the handful of secrecy spells that we put together, because uh, um, we mentioned we were going to do that last time. And I think, uh, well, first I got to mention that, uh, how do I say this, Oswald's Lucky Rabbi on Reddit. The, uh, the Rabbi or Rabbi? The, it's spelled like rabbit, rabbit, but with a Y. The y. But anyway, they put together an awesome list on the subreddit thread that Cron uh, puts up every week. And I didn't read it before making this not 30 list or not 30 spells long list because I didn't want any ideas. But anyway, it's really funny. Check it out. Just remember to check out the Reddit threads if anyone wants to. So I think that whole 30 thing was really like, you know, I, I'm just going to go out on and say, I, you know, I don't think this book is very realistic. What? <laughs> 30 like 30 is not nearly enough. No, there's just too many. That's that's actually I was thinking about it in terms of like like a weird hacker view on like is it, is it security in depth or is it security through obscurity? Like that just seems like that's an unmanageable system. It's both if you're going for thirty different uh, security charms. But that's just that to me that seems like you know you know buying twelve different brands of duct tape to tie shut your screen door like seems like. You know, like there should just be like a couple really good ones in your set. I think okay. the, if I had to guess, the the point of having 30 is because like Quirrell mentions at some point, like for what wizardry can do, wizardry can undo. So for every spell, there's a counter spell. So like, all right, cool. I've got my two great security charms. Well, unfortunately, you know, the 10 most powerful people on the planet know how to get past them. So like they're basically useless. But if I have redundancy charms, they have to get past all those too. I think it just works better, like, story-wise. It just sounds more dramatic, which totally works for me. I'm just talking smack, pretending it's... It's funny, like, there is stuff where it's like... I guess, and it's hard to understand, what, you know, when it works and when it doesn't work, but there are things that are, like, completely not realistic at all, and they just work so, like, so it fits. Like, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a drawback that they're not realistic. Like, the one I keep thinking about, like, to me, like, other people have said differently, but to me, like, Harry does not at all play like an 11-year-old. He plays like a college freshman in my head. Um, <laughs> but that doesn't, like, that's not at all a bad thing. Like, I don't get bothered by, like, oh, an 11-year-old would never say this. Um, so, yeah. And it's funny. It's, like, sort of hard to put your finger on, like, what makes that not matter. Because this is just... Well, I know that like, his... I know that his lack of childishness bothered you at the beginning, but then you kind of think, just get used to it as like the, the conceit of the story. Yeah, it's actually, I don't know if it was the, because it's like that combined with, I think, and there's probably like some explicit like, oh, and I'm so much smarter than other 11 year olds. And it was, it was when it was like just combined with the kind of like elitist arrogance, you know, guardian of humanity thing uh, that he had going on. Um, so, and, and maybe that is it. Like if there's other things, like if it's working with the story and like part of what, you know, is making the story enjoyable and it doesn't matter because like this one was just like, it was funny. Well, I don't, I don't know if it was meant to be funny, but um, it just sort of like added to the effect. It was like the, the point of the thing was, oh, there's a ridiculous, this is, you know, the, a super powerful wizard taking every single precaution he can, um, which maybe if this were like, quote, reality, um, wouldn't really work that way. 
but it like helps for the story to like communicate. That's that's the idea we're getting, and that's like an easy way to communicate it is by saying, "Oh, and there were thirty spells." Although my theory is that one of those spells is to mess with your memory about how many spells there were. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, there's. Uh, so like my short list was like super silencing above a normal quietus. Otherwise, Harry would recognize it. Anti time travel, anti apparition, apparition, anti port key, animagi detection. I think something specific to hide them from like seeing magical objects, like Mad Eye's eye, or like a I don't mm. know, like a what do they call it? like the seer stone things, like it's like a crystal ball. I'm yeah. imagining there's stuff like that. Um, it's got to be something block. like something that's a cousin of the comet T that can like after the fact cause things to happen in the past. <laughs> That would be the thing intense. that you the thing that you would have done that would have been like incriminating or caused somebody didn't to notice you then like have some urge from the future to keep you from doing it. I like that. That's funny. So. Yeah, I um I had something to block against sounds transferring objects like magic walkie talkies, uh, <laughs> polyjuice detection. Obvious. Um, yeah, yours was randomized observer's memory of how many spells there were. Uh, reveal invisible persons or objects. Uh, translate any still overheard speech into random Aramaic or something. And then what was yours? Uh, perpetually obliviate anyone. Uh, yeah. Just so you're, you're like in goldfish mode. If you are like, if you're, if you're witnessing <laughs> anything about it, you're like perpetually, you know, only remembering the last five seconds. I think but. there was something like that. So the one that uh, Oswald, I'm going to just shorthand your Reddit handle there. Um, the first one on there was like muggle repelling charm, but I'm guessing that Mary's room and like, you know, all of the Diagon Alley place already has that. It's a big deal. Uh, so, but anyway, theirs is a lot of fun. Some that they had that I didn't pull out was like, remember the taboo, I think from book seven, where like, if you say Voldemort, like he knows where you are. Or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. So anti-taboo ward. Um, oh, there you go. Let's see. They had another, oh, and ghost, maybe a ghost. pro-taboo ward. Like he can hear if anybody else is talking about, thinking about coming in. Oh, What's yeah, funny about hey. this, like this, it's sort of like a fun little thing to do, but then you can like, go you know full reddit evil and like take it way too seriously and start like nitpicking all the little problems in it like one of the things that was in the back of my head is like okay like there's 30 or there was only 29 that time they let rita skeeter in so then it's 28 spells that can be defeated just by being an animagus that seems not yeah, so good. that's that's why you need 30 right I'm like, well then those other 28 can't be very good well i think probably one of them like keeps people from entering the room but since yeah. she was already in there then you know it doesn't keep her out if she's already in but yeah it's it's yeah exactly if you bring your your lawyers then you can totally uh go after this but they had a couple other ones that i wanted to pull out uh uh did i say ghost and poltergeist detection yet because I, no. I thought that was brilliant so that one's up there with like magical painting detection right uh like it would be especially if ghosts can make themselves invisible like hey you want to mm-hmm. walk over to mary's room and report what's going on in there well not if you have this, this anti-ghost spell on the room uh Oh, yeah, I guess electronics detection. I didn't think about that. Yeah, so I mentioned, like, magical walkie-talkies. Like yeah, standard walkie-talkie. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, if they just had, like, a tape recorder in the room. So that was <laughs> Except our... the thing that ends up defeating Quirrell because it never occurred to him is that Harry's got his iPhone in his pocket. Right. <laughs> and the NSA is just recording all of it. Yep, his, his iPhone in 1991 because it's from the future. Yeah. Alexa, stop recording this conversation. <laughs> that's that's oh. one of the 30 spells. Perfect. <laughs> Anyway, fun little brain exercise to get our brains back in gear since I haven't done this. We haven't done this podcast in Years. many, uh, almost a fortnight. Yeah. So, chapter. What do you think of these uh, these three chapters? This was. This is cool. This is. Uh, it's 
things are, are advancing. Um, I like, yeah, we're still, still a lot of it kind of the Mission Impossible vibe, but it's like, it's darker now, like that squeaky chair, sorry. Um, yeah, things got dark and still very like, you know, Mission Impossible-ish. And then there was like the, fun, like the cop show stuff that came in, I thought was, it didn't really detract from the, like the sort of adventure vibe this time, but it was funny. It was like, like I could just hear the, you know, Law and Order, Kokong. Um, <laughs> I think it mentally changed uh, the clothes that I kept picturing. I'm terrible. Like my visuals when I read a book are terrible. Like I might as well, like, yeah, the, my visuals are awful. So you can sneak all kinds of like, you know, inconsistent things in there because my brain will not like visualize them to worry about it. But to the extent that I do, I think like I kept altering the, uh, the wardrobe of the cops in that uh, break room. I think they were like all dressed in like trench coats and or like ties that were too loose and you know shirts that don't fit. You know, I didn't really it, it described it describes their robes at some point, but it's not something I really yeah I think it only yeah and actually like, probably rarely because most uh, if we describe what people were wearing too much, it would always just be and he's wearing the same robe as everybody else's. Um, oh, so you didn't read Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time. I did not. Where, yeah, I mean, I think the total length of the series is like 11,000 pages, and it could easily have been 9,000 if it cut out half the clothing and like tapestry <laughs> descriptions. I can't remember. That. It wasn't that. There was some other, I can't remember what it was. I think actually, Eniash will probably know because uh, we read it for book club, but there was a book, and I came up with this probably sexist theory, actually totally sexist theory, that uh, eye color is described in books way more by female authors than male authors. And I also go by the contention that most people have no idea what color other people's eyes are. You're just like, you could look, but then you like forget. Unless it's like unusual, you just don't remember. Yeah, I think you're onto something. I don't know I've, I don't know enough about the author thing to make that generalization, but I do know that I couldn't tell you right off what color my parents' eyes are. Oh, that's totally true. Like, Yeah, and for me, like when I do remember, it's like, oh, I guess it's brown because it might register in my head that it was something other than brown because it's almost always brown and I can't think of you being an exception so I'm going to guess brown like that's yeah, like I, practically always yeah I'm guessing my parents eyes are hazelish because that's what my my eye color is right now I'm not entirely sure what color my daughter's eyes are <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with brown <laughs> pretty, pretty all sure right brown. Well, r- report back yeah, if yeah. you're wrong how the hell think, did we uh, get on the eye color oh yeah because how the Describing stuff. We haven't even like yeah. built in the plot yet. Okay, so yeah. We're, we're, how did we open? We opened so with, the, we're still, we had just busted Bellatrix out of her cell, but we have not uh, gone gotten anywhere. And the we ended the last chapter with the um, Dementors telling the cops that Bellatrix No, that's, that's this one. Oh, was that this one? The, the last, yeah, the last chapter oh, yeah. ended with like Harry describing how they were going to commit the perfect crime. And then the last line was, and it wasn't Professor Quarrel who screwed it up. Yeah. Oh, so were they, had they not even gotten to Bellatrix yet? Well? No, they had. They, yeah. they were like, they were just walking out of her cell. Yeah. Okay. So like, uh, whatever. Oh, but Quarrel was levitating her. Harry was invisible and they were walking out with the Patronus and just like leaving Azkaban. Oh, and it's 54 that the, it's this first chapter that the Dementors knocked them out. Right. Yes. Which they can do because shit goes sideways during the fight with Bari Redshirt one hand. Redshirt. I did. I give myself credit that as soon as he was described, I think probably because ropes are so seldom described in the book. When uh, 
when it was when his robes were described as red. And I think there was a lot of lead in like, oh, I'm going to go alone to go investigate the noise. I'm like, oh, he's dead. Oh, that's hilarious. I didn't even pick up on the fact that his robes were red. But yeah, yeah. I, I just knew he was, you know, th- things were going to work out for him because he was seven months from retirement. Yeah, I'm like, OK, too. yeah, there, there was if, if yeah, he hadn't mentioned were... his retirement, then he was obviously going to he would have been fine. But yeah. he had two weeks left on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I like that worked really well. I thought it was funny. No, me too. Yeah. And yeah, so basically they're they're walking out of they're just going on their merry way out of Azkaban. Everything's going fine. And then, uh, oh, you know what? It's it's fine except for Bellatrix is kind of like trying she, to like kind of put her marbles back in a jar and as she is like things are really uncomfortable. Yeah, she. Um, so as she's like munching on more chocolate that like makes her feel better enough to feel horrible because she was basically like so dead that she was just like numb to everything. But so getting better is like unnumbing the wounds. Um, I really liked how you put how you put that like that getting better enough to feel not good. Yeah. And it's like, oh yeah, cuz yeah, when you're when you're bad enough, you're just like, okay, I'm a, I'm just basically a zombie and then you're you're feeling alert enough to be like, oh yeah, this is the worst thing ever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. And and then it was weird this uh and what how did I put it? I said and right up there with someday I'm going to rape Luna Lovegood was what then Bellatrix uh is saying to Harry who she thinks is Voldemort um that as she's feeling better she's like, "Oh, but I'm ugly now." Um, and so the quote is, ugly, said Bellatrix. Her voice said that word like it was the final nail in her coffin, the last despair. I'm ugly. They ate that too. I'm, I'm not pretty anymore. You won't even be able to use me as a reward for your servants. Even the Lestranges won't want to hurt me anymore. Um, yeah. And that like hit me. Like, that was the same sort of like unexpected level of dark as when we met Draco in, the, in uh, 93 Quarters for the first time. And he just sort of casually says like, oh, yeah, I'll just rape her someday. Um where and it's like it's like I think like these are it's really effective because it makes you realize like the original books. I guess I don't think much as I'm reading them as being you know juvenile or YA or or whatever. And you're not and I guess that's a you know a sign of the writing being good that you you're not sort of constantly aware that you're in a PG thirteen universe. Um, but when this happens, you're like oh, and this is what happens if it's not. Um, yeah. And so yeah, I don't it's, think it's, it's effective too because because most of the time we're like not doing that, but then like this kind of stuff you know comes up and it it I think especially because he holds back, he's not like this kind of you know inflammatory with with how he writes most of the time, and then the, this stuff comes up. It's like when he wants to make something look evil, he you know has this button he can push to do it. So it works really well, I think. Yeah, and it it definitely like you said brings home that this isn't a PG thirteen universe yeah. that they're living in, and like. So right after she says that, uh, it's like just line breaks and it says the brilliant silver figure had stopped walking because Harry had stopped walking. And then mm-hmm. he's just thinking, he's like the dark Lord. He, and he's like, oh man, uh, <laughs> I, I don't want to read the whole thing, but basically it's like, he's sitting there kind of just like, no fucking way that yeah. mother, like, I can't, you know, I know he is bad, but holy hell. And I got to mention too, that the voice actor who did Bellatrix, um, she just totally crushed it. Like the the kind of like the the dialogue that she's giving, uh, and the text is like stilted with commas, and the 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 voice actress just like it's, it's I don't know I can't describe it, but it's mm-hmm. it's like she's she's basically really mimicking like the kind of sobbing stilted yeah. speech that that works really well, and uh, um, <laughs> geez, yeah, so she's just sitting there and um, 
like, you know, I'm, I, I'm not useful. I can't be useful anymore. And, uh, she says, please just kill me. I've got no reason to live. I, you know, I only want it to stop, you know, please hurt yeah. me one last time. I know. Especially, know. And the way that she asks is so like, it's both, it's like hope is hopeless and sort of like meek. It's just like, Oh, please just kill me. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. She said something earlier about like how, um, you know, they, she never forgot how much she loved him or something. Yeah. Uh, Even though he and never then, loved her and she knew that. Yeah. And that's why it wasn't happy for her. And then, so when she's saying, please, please hurt me one last time, my Lord, hurt me until I stop. I love you. And it's just like, oh God, man, this, this poor woman. And so then this is where Harry's Patronus flickers and then wavers and brightens. Yeah. And it's apparently going just full nuclear. And you've got a little... Uh, picture of super a super saiyan, saiyan. Yeah. Go super saiyan. yeah yeah <laughs> um so since qu- the invisible polyjuice quarrel is supposed to be the one in charge of the patronus he's pretending like he's having it go out of control and he's like help me my spell is going out of control and um what he's really con- what he's really trying to say is what you've got in <laughs> tell the that next bitch picture be cool say, bitch be cool <laughs> tell that bitch to chill he's got a picture yeah. of jewels from uh the Pulp Fiction, which is the basically what he's trying to tell Harry here, but he has to do it while p- pretending to be his servant, right? Yeah, and I like so, that too. Like the sort of like the way that dialogue, like he's got to like he's trying to be like super urgent without sort of like blowing his cover. Exactly, yeah. and the what I like about it too is he says, you know, help me, help me. Everyone will feel it, and then like in Harry's head, he's like, everyone will feel it, and like to him, that's just like more encouragement. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm, you know, I'm going to do this, and. Every exposed surface now burned like a white sun in the reflections. The silhouette of the Be- of Bellatrix's skeleton and the sallow man now clearly visible in the blaze. The disillusionment spells unable to keep pace with the unearthly brilliance. Only the cloak of invisibility out of the Deathly Hallows withstood it. Which is cool. I guess yeah. I'm not sure if it's like surely the, the amount of like literally light or if it's some, something with the, the I magic I got coming it, yeah, out of it. I did but get a cool visual for that. Like I was seeing like, you know, almost like like transparent silhouettes of things that were supposed to be invisible were just showing up because of like magical light. Totally. And then Harry's still talking himself up and he's like, well, they're far away, but I know that if I just don't hold back and I put everything into this, I can kill them all even from here. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, the, the way that he finally comes down from this is Quirrell approaches him and the sense of doom kind of clashes with his, with his Mm -hmm. whatever mentality that he's got going here. And so then that's when he, I like this he like it. walks out from the center of the sun or something. It was, it was also another strange visual, <clears throat> but it was just sort of like, like Quirrell was able to insert himself into this kind of vision that Harry was caught up in. Yeah. The, um, the sense of doom, I guess, was able to permeate even through like his determination. Yeah. Like that, that uncomfortableness that they've always had when they were in proximity or, you know, on the, the carriage to Hogsmeade or whatever, mm-hmm. um, or Diagon Alley or wherever the... Uh, the carriage, the, the festival yeah, carriage. Exactly. And then I like the... Um, so it gets under control. Again, Quirrell doesn't break character. He says, thank you, my lord. And then Harry, also not breaking character, he says, fool, did I not warn you that the spell could prove fatal if you failed to control your emotions? And <laughs> Professor Quirrell did not, did not widen, of course. And he says, yes, my lord, I understand. And... <laughs> And it is this faltering servant voice. And then this is one of there are several places uh, in these, I think not just in the, in these three chapters that um, 
where we get like multiple hints about how it's, it's sort of worded as, oh, it's just really easy and natural for Harry to do this Voldemort impression. But it's like done enough. You're like, oh, no, there's like he's got like a Voldemort inside him. Um, and that's why and that's why this is so easy to do. Because um, even when he's like super distracted and weakened, like still p- pretending to be Voldemort is still super easy for him. <clears throat> yeah, that's I don't know if you want to expand on that or not. But yeah, that is interesting. He seems to have no trouble putting up this this uh, pretense. Yeah, and I got well, I mean, yeah, so there have been I'm not sure to what extent will as the plot advances to get into it. But there have been several things in here where it's <clears throat> there's something something Horcruxy. Um, that it's, so we've got something. So in the original, there was just that kind of like mental connection between Harry and Voldemort, which sort of just kind of let them eavesdrop on each other, and they like have to worry like, oh no, he can feel if I'm doing this, or oh, I can feel he's mad right now, or <clears throat> that was like through like like this connection they had through uh, Harry's scar, uh, and it seems so we've got something like that, although it's clear it's not the same. Um, but there is, and it, so it's got that that whole like, oh, we're gonna have this like matter any matter collision with our doom or the sense of doom um, and my magic and your magic um, and this you know this way that he's able to kind of effortlessly be a Voldemort that there's some kind of like connection here and then there have been this few and I think I called one out uh, last week um, these sort of I think it was when they referred to it as like a, a fraction of his soul um, that there have been a few times in here where he's used sort of very specific phrasing that worked at that whole like pieces of a soul thing that that kind of horcrux idea so it's at least what's so i've got this sort of like non-specific like this this crystallizing idea around you know there's like is there is, is harry a horcrux or something like this so there's a piece of voldemort in harry um and it's got some kind of like matter antimatter, blow up thing going on uh between him and coral um <clears throat> So, and that's, I mean, and then that's part of his whole, that's why he's got this huge blind spot towards Quirrell. And, and so there've been a bunch of, there've been like this, this, his ability to just sort of like be a super convincing Voldemort with no effort at all is like one of the kind of the more obvious ones in these, in these chapters. But there's been sort of like lots of these little hints dropped. A lot of the time it's just sort of like the words chosen to describe a thing um, where, and so I'm not really sure where I'm going with it, but there's, you know, I think clearly like there's a piece of. Voldemort in Harry and and clearly Coral's got to be Voldemort I think like that's that was the other thing I'm wondering was in when this was um being written in real time and witnessed by people was it still by this point like people up in the air as to whether he's Voldemort because it seems like that train left the station <laughs> yeah I um I mean I guess there's, off, there's I... variations there could be on it but yeah like I guess the first off I love the the theorizing and mm-hmm. second I I wasn't part of the active community at this point. Um, I don't remember when I actually joined Reddit to, to get on the HPMR subreddit. And uh, that would have been somewhere in the last year or so of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think if a memory serves of whatever, 2014 or something, whenever I was reading this, like I'm sure that my Quirrell's Voldemorto meter definitely went up. And because like, that like you said, everything seems so. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it could be like, some kind of vari- it could be some variant of it or something, but he's clearly not just like some goon or the distraction. And over here is Voldemort. Like he's he's the main attraction. Yeah, I I can definitely 
get behind that sort of thinking obviously without being able to elaborate but <laughs> no I, I like that a lot um there was another part where uh well, i guess i was just going to point out that like harry's always been really good at pretending to be people like wasn't it like in chapter chapter five when he bumps into draco the first time and he like pretends like he's hero worshiping him oh yeah and like so he pretends that part well um yeah this he, one's different this is very it's just sort of like the way it's described it's very cons- it's a much more yeah, serious and role. it's and it's conspicuous yeah. how it's because it's not just sort of described as like oh harry happens to be kind of really good at this it's more like yeah there's kind of a vibe of like there's there are unseen forces at work yeah no uh, i like that um so once the patronus is back under control there's this line by bellatrix that i like well more like it's the, it's between the lines but it's the author's description so she says how funny you're almost killed by a patronus charm a giggle that sounded like it was blowing dust out of her giggle pipes, <laughs> which sounds funny, but at the same time, it also sounds sad. <laughs> and I think I think that's a perfect way to phrase it. Um, Where are your giggle pipes? <laughs> uh, so probably right where the rest of your you know breathing pipes are. The rest but, of your pipes. Yeah, you know, people are full of pipes. I'm not a doctor, <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> um, She's like perked up a bit. She's like, oh, maybe I can punish you if my Lord froze you and I had knives. And she's like, oh, I guess I feel a little better now. How strange. Mm. And I just like the the giggle pipes line works at both being funny and tragic. (laughs) Um, Dust. She's more of a cackler than a giggler, you know? Yeah, that's true. I guess cackling takes more energy, though. So a light giggle. But anyway, he tells her to be silent until I give you leave to speak. And there was no reply, which was obedience, (laughs) which I'm, I'm... you know, he doesn't say this out in his head, but I'm guessing he told her to shut up because, like, look, when you talk, it's really hard for me to f- keep the right state yeah. of mind because, like, this is already depressing enough. And when I have to listen to that shit, it's it freaks me out. So please stop talking. Yeah. I also, I mean, so, I'm so, uh, yeah, that, um, which is kind of also how I interpret it, but, like, there's also, like, another level to this stuff that I was thinking is, like, well, no, he's just having the, like, natural, like, that's just his Voldemort talking. Like, that's that was kind of both, like, pretend and just, like, a, you know, his you know authentic Voldemortiness response like what to some extent not an act so. yeah I I guess I mean like maybe that's part of the like, point because yeah. it's hard to, it's hard yeah. to tell where the line is yeah um, he's playing the part so well that like is he playing a part or is he just uh, is he is he that character now yeah. right yeah. yeah I think about that might be intentional yeah um, anyway so the we get a line break right after he says uh, he was trying very hard not to think about um, every cell they passed yeah. because he knew that, like you like you think you put again in the notes, that every time they walk past a cell, everyone feels well enough to where they can feel like shit. And then he says, otherwise his Patronus would wax until it burned away every Dementor in Azkaban, taking all of Harry's life as fuel. No, I, th- I was, I guess, like, and that was the moment that, because this is, again, a little unclear to me, we know this because of this scene, like the little vision of, of Quirrell coming out of the sun is, is Quirrell telling Harry that that's what will happen or cause I, cause I get like, okay, this is how we know this is the scene in which we find that out. But I wasn't clear on like, how is it? Did he just sort of realize that because of his sense of the force or was that what Quirrell told him or? No, I think it's his sense of the force. Like, so when he, when he gets the spell under control, he literally falls to his knees. Mm. And then he says he had drained something, hopefully not lost something. He should have known, he should have remembered that it wasn't mere magic that fueled the Patronus charm. And so he knows that 
like somehow mm-hmm. it like because he's not a a powerful spellcaster because he's 11 right mm-hmm. so the the power behind the spell doesn't come from his magical well it comes from uh i guess his life force or something yeah. and so when like he knocks out the dementor or when he kills the dementor um when it when it came to hogwarts dumbledore says are you about to fall over and possibly die and he says no that took something out of me but less than i thought it would but apparently trying to kill 100 plus dementors at range takes a lot more out of <laughs> you range. so yes but yeah that was i think that was just him intuiting okay yeah that's why i feel exhausted and fucked up is because i you know put way too much power into this spell which doesn't and i guess that he's magic. sort of that he kind of it felt like like it was a thing we're being told that we like there's an assumption that we sort of already knew it or something and i was kind of lost there but because it sounds like from the from his words that it's um, that he kind of already knew that from his first dementation or his first destroying of the of the dementor. But I think it was taught to them when they were learning to cast it that it that it's not powered by mere magic. Oh, that okay. it was yeah. So like it it takes more than mere magic, which is like so when they're I'm trying to remember. Oh yeah, I guess it I was, was interpreted it was that as like on. oh you need your happy thought or blah blah blah. That it wasn't as sort of like oh it's draining your mana meaning to that. Oh yeah, I guess that's a good point. So like, it that you're right. I think that is the reasonable read on it. That yes, you need more than mere magic. You need, you know, um, pixie dust and a happy thought. Yeah, and I guess maybe maybe it's just Harry's version that takes HP and not just you yeah. know mana, right? So well, it's a, it's a like, hit. To, it's a it's a hit to HP once you run out of mana. So he's fine. Like what well, you know, you've got enough mana for like one Dementor. Oh yeah, that could be. It, yeah, when, once and Harry's little mana pool is so small because his level is still so low. Although I don't know, he's about to go like super science. He's, he's done some other stuff these couple chapters that are uh, pretty neo in the matrix of him. I think maybe that's because like as long as we're running with this analogy, HP. If you're using that to cast magic, which you probably can't use to cast all magic, but maybe the Patronus Charm is special. Well, mm-hmm. we know it is. Um, maybe using HP to cast it instead of MP, then uh, it's like, you know, one HP counts for 50 MP, right? There you go. Am I torturing this analogy too much? Torturing exactly. analogies is a pastime of mine. So. <laughs> I think, I think it, it was pre-tortured. Well, all right, yeah. we'll leave it dead in, uh, in the halls of Azkaban while we transfer over to the R's quarters at the top. Meanwhile, so, back at the precinct. That's right. Go it's it's the awesome. I think we were we were reflecting on the last episode about like the kind of person who would work at Azkaban, and the it's been so long I can't remember exactly what we said, but now that we're talking about it, a board government and, worker, yeah, where it turns <laughs> out like everyone who works there knows it's a miserable job, and I think uh, yeah, there's it looks like there's three trios there at all times. One's on break, one is on duty, and then one is asleep. And and these these guys in like, the card room are theoretically the ones on duty. Yeah, because because they're awake, they're as, they're as they're, they're, they're near the window to the Dementor's pit. So if anything happens, they you know they'll be they'll, they'll be the first to hear about it. But yeah, being on duty here doesn't sound half bad, except for like we know that the despair of the Dementors can get past Patroni and or Patronuses. Both are fun to say. Um, also, just like it's a dreary as fuck environment, and it's from or yeah. uh, Lee's perspective, and he's like he, he I think he says. Um, when they're we'll, we'll get to the line but he says that you know his, his usual bribe tended to be in the range of two canuts and a sickle he hated this place <laughs> and so he, he knows that this place fucking sucks but he's here because it pays well i guess so it looks like you get a a, 
uh, pay stipend for, hey, do you want to guard literally hell? Like, All right, yeah, sure. <laughs> for for double pay? Sure. Sure. So you put that they're playing uh, they're playing poker, the gathering, which I think <laughs> <Yeah>. is perfect. <laughs> I think it was fun, like, especially because, you know, as I'm reading it, you're, like, partially, like, trying to follow along for a little bit before you're like, oh, wait, this is just gibberish. Yeah, same. It's like, is this okay? Yeah, I'm following. Oh, wait, no, it's supposed to be impossible to understand. Sure. Uh, a Dementor modifier could turn his sevens into sixes or something. And uh, But what I liked, I just pulled out that they're on game 5366. And I just think it's hilarious that not only like that it's a crazy high number, because I think, what are they? I forget the exact number. They do like two month uh, like shifts here, I think. Um, uh, I oh, it looks like it's triple pay to serve Azkaban, nice. not double pay, I was wrong. So I'm not sure how, how many weeks they've been here, but they played 5,300 games of poker. <laughs> but what's funnier than that to me is that R. Lee is counting. Yes. <laughs> so he what? was like, oh, this will be my and best hand of the 5,300s. This guy's got, the, is this guy an inside joke? Because it seemed like there was some like awfully specific descriptions. Like like he's, he's Xiao Guang Li, but everybody calls him Mike. And it just, I'm like, uh, I, I feel like there's a, inside joke i'm not getting here but uh i it well could be um if it is i'm also outside that right. joke so yeah anyway um oh i guess it's called dragon poker but poker the gathering sounds way way more fun yes. um but as, as you put that the patroni sniff that something is up i know so, that was another like good i guess as i'm like thinking about it i guess i also just picture them as dogs <laughs> regardless all, all the of what, yeah regardless of what they actually are they're just kind of like they're dogs that are like hanging out in the in the precinct room with them i like that i forget what all three were i know that one was the like, anteater one was a duck and one a was badger, a, i think that sounds right yeah. um what's funny about it like then it this is completely an aside but like it makes me wonder what like the upper and lower bounds are on patronuses <laughs> like can you have a patronus that's an ant an, or an elephant or or a blue whale blue whale yeah there you go yeah so, I think an ant-sized Patronus would make a really cool, like, secret thing. A sea um, urchin. <laughs> yeah, could it be some hideous, like, a naked mole rat or something? Uh, or, like, what's, what's the worst animal? Worst animal? Uh, uh, like, like a, I guess, like an acromantula. I was thinking of Could that. it be this horrifying, you know, fang-riddled what's spider? The, what's the smart mold? What's it called? Is that a thing? Yeah, no, no, it's like a, it, it's, it like has like network effects in the ways it behaves. Uh, something mold, something, uh, it's just a mold, but it like the way it grows is like usually interesting for like network effects because it actually it behaves almost like its own little AI. Oh, you mean, um, yeah, I think I know you're talking about. It's like, blanking depending on, on how you measure life, it's like yeah. the, one of the biggest organisms on the planet. Yeah, why am I blanking on it? Because we're not that. moldologists. It's not. Yeah, that's all right. And are you anyway, the one yeah. ant or are you the whole colony? Because an ant on its own isn't really much of an organism. <laughs> the colony's got some intelligence to it. But... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, fun speculating. I <laughs> I, I am just, it, it's one of those, like you said, or like I was getting at, just kind of, you know, a little funny brain teaser. Doesn't really bring anything particular <laughs> from the story. but And like all the Vitronuses I think that are ever described, like are in some sense like admirable or cute or like you yeah. like them, right? It'd be really like disappointed to cast a Patronus and like it's uh, again if my Patronus was Chihuahua. a very realistic looking spider, like I would fucking hate it and I would suddenly be unable to cast a Patronus because mm. I'd never want to see it again, oh, that's right? True. Yeah, but I think that'd so be, that's, that's part of the deal. Like if you know 
you would only cast a spider if like a spider was your thing and you thought that was awesome. Yeah, totally. I imagine Hagrid's Patronus is probably an acromantula just because he's fucking weird. <laughs> well, and, you know, he's cool. Not hating on everyone who likes spiders, but Hag- Hagrid loves monsters more than the average person. Fact. All right. So back to the story, which we didn't get too far from because we're talking about Patronuses. So I like how it was described. Like they look and so it's like, Mike, what's up with your Patronus? And R. Lee, because they call him Mike, looks over <laughs> and his badger is not looking at the pit, but instead of staring like straight down, yeah, it can see. And then Bari's duck and McCusker's anteater do the same thing. Just like they both start looking down. Yeah. And later we and, see the same thing when, when, the, when all the cops show up with all their yeah. Patronuses, they all do that. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Which would be a, like a weird, like a unsettling thing. Like all your Patronuses, like your, your little magic, you know, force aura looking creatures. Then all of a sudden, like all just kind of like calmly look at the floor. Like what the fuck's going on? Oh, I thought it's got sort of the uh, it's got kind of the vibe of uh, like when your pet freaks out five seconds before the earthquake that you can't feel. Yeah, and this is just like, huh? They don't usually do that. Okay, well, we don't exactly have a protocol for this, but it's weird. So let's go take a look. And I like the just it's just a little detail that I enjoy that they finish their hand uh, after an unexpo- yes. uh, unspoken agreement because if someone's like. Hey, you guys, you guys want to finish this hand? It's like clearly like, okay, I'm folding. <laughs> right? Of course we're finishing the hand. Yeah. But then that's where uh, it describes that Bari read Bari uh, one hand, which again, I didn't notice until he pointed out that, yeah, he's his wearing red robes. I think also like once that was kind of in the back of my head, I think uh, his robes are, the color of his robes is, is given a couple more times. Yeah, I when you mentioned that before I started recording, I did a control F for robe, and it mentions that they're red, and I just think that's really yeah. funny because I was I was thinking because it's describing that he's here and he's seven months away from mandatory retirement, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, yeah, this guy's fucked, and then it's like, so he he volunteers to go take a look, even though it's not really his turn or something, because he's got it's like, well, the the man had a wife, and the wife's had, the wife had healers bills, and, <laughs> healers bills. Um, and if you could afford to hire someone to break into Azkaban, you could afford to grease Bari's remaining palm pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> because there's like no wizarding health service. People are yeah, I thought that was kind of funny too, where it's like, I mean, that's the thing, you know, medicine in the United States is, you know, weird. Everyone gets that. But like, at least you can kind of get an itemized bill. And <laughs> while you're paying 40 bucks for a Tylenol, like at least you can see it. That's what's happening. If you go to St. Mungo's and they give you a potion or they cast a spell on you, like, why is one spell cost more than another? A potion I can kind of get, maybe. Like, especially if you need a bunch and all the ingredients are really hard to get. But you, it's just funny to me that, like, you could ever struggle for money. <laughs> I guess. It's just, that seems that seems just insane that you could get away yeah. with that one. Theoretically, like, the, the spell to, all right, uh, I've got, whatever, some weird magical rock cancer. And it's like, oh, yeah, well, the counter spell is this. Perfect. All right. I'm going to go just do that myself rather than go to the doctor. Yeah, yeah the whole, like, money in general with like wizardy stuff you kind of have to sort of like walk away from the it, it doesn't stand up to much thoughts so you're just kind of like okay we'll just leave that one alone yeah like why like does I he care that the benefit for like why does he care that he's getting triple pay yeah i mean like i imagine i don't know like how are the weasleys poor kinda, <laughs> well yes that that's always been a question how do you ever get poor but like i can still get like all right you want money because sometimes it's nice to pay for a good meal without having to cook it or something um, 
but yeah, it does seem weird that like, all right, well, cool. Magic can make stuff and sustain stuff. I'm going to just build a cool house and live in it or live in my fucking tent because, or my luggage, because it's big enough to put a bunch of bookcases <laughs> in. Um, it's, it's surprising, but anyway, so you could have moving like a, past like that. a wizard homeless person pushing their shopping cart down the street, but they actually live in their shopping cart. <laughs> no, they're so poor. They have to live in one of the cans it's, in the shopping it's, cart. It's, oh, yeah. But the inside of the can is like a Winnebago. Exactly. Yeah, so it's not nice, but it's, you know, it's dry. Yes. What the hell are we right. talking yes. about? Oh, yeah. So the yeah. So, so Mike Redshirt. No, no, it's Bari Redshirt. That's right. Bari Redshirt, one hand. I like the, and then we switch to the description of uh, of uh, Harry and, and Quirrell and Bellatrix trying to skulk out. And I like the way that uh, the Quirrell just said, like, I, I didn't pull, pull it as a quote, but he was um, just... Quirrell says in almost kind of bored way. He's like, oh, there's an aura coming. Um, and then we and then that you know, like moves into a whole like planned bit of, of tension and stuff. But I like it was, a, again, the sort of like the way Quirrell can be sort of understatedly threatening. Um, where he's like, he's not at all alarmed that somebody's coming. He's just like, okay, we got to deal with this shit. Right. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly not alarmed because we see how easily he takes it yeah. down. But like, he just without emphasis or without sort of any fanfare, he's just like cops on its way. And it's like, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, oh shit. Then it says Harry yeah. took like a whole second to remember that he was supposed to run back to the stairs and hide. So that's what he does. I thought it was because he like runs and, and lays down in the tread of the stairs. It was like very, it's, it's a weirdly specific kind of like he makes himself invisible and, and gets in the, uh, on, I think he even just like specifically the third step or something. Um, yeah, yeah I forget which step, weird. but yeah. he, he's been invisible the whole time. Yeah. So it was just mainly just remember, all right. So like before, I guess before their mission, Quirrell said, all right, if I hear an R coming, you run back to the stairs and lay down on stair number whatever. Yeah. It was yeah. weird. It didn't turn. It didn't, I don't think like there was any significance to it, but it's like a weird, like it's kind of a weirdly specific thing to do to hide if you're already invisible anyway. Like I could go down, lay down in the stairs, I guess so that like increase the chance that somebody would just step over here or something. I don't know, but. Well, I think because he's behind where the R is coming, so the R is not going to come towards, like, he's yeah. going to have to pass Quirrell on the way there, and now he's out of the line of fire. Yeah. Yeah. Strange. Oh, was it, was it, st- I guess I pictured stairs up. Was it, So it was, like, stairs down, and so Harry's, like, below them? That's, yeah, that's okay. what I'm picturing, because they're, they're leaving, because Bellatrix is on sense. the bottom, right? Yeah, I guess it might see that, again, I'm terrible at visuals. Um, I guess I had pictured it as, like, uh, stairs leading up, which then I guess would have been the stairs they were headed towards. But yeah, and so then I'm like, okay, then he's laying on the stair that they can see. Like, what's that about? But that makes a little more sense. Then it's more like he's behind a uh, bunker. Yeah, he, that's right. where he went to. He went to go bunker down. All right, that makes more sense. All right, so then that's when Bari shows up, and, um, and there's like this kind of funny line where, well, this long laid out thing where or where harry's thinking about uh oh wait you pulled out something before that how he makes a mirror um, yeah he um well I f- at first i like how like barry like when he shows he's not quite acting like the red shirt and then he like shows up like acting very competent and we like get to see like and he knows there's somebody else invisible like he's not he's not an idiot going in to just be like executed um he's good at what he does yeah um, he's clearly badass but yeah and then so like at, yeah as harry's like waiting around the corner um and he's like under his 
cloak and not moving, but uh, it says like, well, because I could do partial transfiguration, he just sort of like caused it. What did he, I think did he make it out of the floor, the, like the stone from the floor or something? Um, something like yeah, that. Yeah, he makes he makes a mirror so he can like go spy around the corner. Um, and I just like the way that described. I'm like, oh, okay, this is going to be important later. Like it was again like a an, an awfully specific description of of what he did. Um, so I'm like, okay, this is going to be, and we'd kind of already like drawn attention to that, you know, the partial transfiguration thing was, was an only hairy trick. Um, so I'm like, okay, this, this is going to come up later. Nice. Um, yeah. I just wanted to make sure we pulled out any, any time you say this will be important. Yeah. So uh, there you go. that people can keep score. Um, what, uh, yeah. So what, what ends up happening is, is Bari comes in and Harry like is thinking, that because he sees like I don't know the shimmer of shields already around him. I'm not sure what that looks like, but it's easy enough to imagine, yeah. right? Um, and then he's thinking about like the the, the battle magic lessons they've had. And now Quirrell said the easiest way to win was just to shoot them before they put shields up, obviously, mm-hmm. and uh, or get behind him or whatever. And then Harry's just thinking like, come on, Professor Quirrell, put up a shield, do something. And oh crap, he's already got shields up. This is going to be so tough. And then Barry does like the whole, all right, come on out. I scan. The, I get to scan you guys, and then. Uh, um, then you get the fuck out of here, yeah. or you know, then we'll talk about how much this is, this is going to cost. Yeah, because Quirrell's like, okay, I'm going to bribe you if you leave. He's like, no, that's not how this works. Like, first I scan you, and then we decide. I decide if I feel like you can bribe me. But I like the whole yeah, vi- the I whole th- vibe with Quirrell. It was just like the super threatening. Like he is not at all alarmed by this whole situation. No, it's awesome. Yeah. And I'm trying to. I didn't actually do any math for this one, but 500 galleons was the initial bribe, and we know that Harry's like uber magic expensive trunk was 100 and like 10 galleons or something. That's and money. Then so yeah, 500, and then the bribe goes up to 2,000, mm-hmm. and then he's like, and then back to 500. Uh, yeah, because then what? I, this is just so badass. He says. Because Harry is sitting there, like kind of panics. He's like thinking about it, and he's, you know, what are you doing, Professor Quirrell? Attack first, cast a shield at least, and then three, two, one, stupefy. <laughs> and then it's from Bari's point of view after the line break, and it says that the man's wand had moved so fast it was like it apparated into place. And Bari's stunner was currently sparkling tamely at the end of it, not blocked, not countered, not deflected, like a fly in honey. That's fine. I, like that's, that's another very uh, matrixy kind of, cause he's like holding the bullet in midair. Yeah. And then it, like, I like the description, like he's like plucking strands of energy from it. It's like, it's almost like, it, and the impression I got, he's just kind of fucking around with it. It's not even that he needed to. He's just sort of like, Oh, this is fun. Oh yeah. He's he just poking at it. Yeah. And then, and that's when he says, and it, I, oh, it does say he smiled dryly because you can just hear the smile on the words. Yeah. He says, my offer's got, gone back down to 500 <laughs> galleons and he to accept a memory charm, which is like, obviously he's not going to do that, oh. right? So he's like, all right, I'm going to get to fight this guy. Yeah. Uh, again, yeah. a little later we have a describe It's like, oh, maybe this was all planned. Like Quirrell wanted all of this to happen, which isn't quite resolved, but seems pretty plausible. Um, I like that. Also, what, what it made me think was that... Um, because he's so like over the top powerful in this scene that he has been pretending to be like as much power as he's shown that he's been, you know, holding back uh, for what he lets other people see. Um, Because at least, you know, and I can't remember anything specifically, but it it seems like when they're, when he has been like, you know, simulating combat or, or anything like that, like there's a level of sort of self-defense, not so much self-defense, but a level of like, I guess, yes, the self-defense that, 
that he's showing that this one in this situation, which is clearly way more threatening than we've seen him in anywhere else uh, so far, he is like not at all. He's almost like not putting up any defenses because he's so unconcerned, like justifiably unconcerned about what Bari would be able to do to him. Yeah, it's hard for me to imagine what that level of like super competency would yeah. feel like. Right. Yeah. I like, yeah. but I like it was like such a contrast with like the other stuff we've seen. It's like, oh, there, there has been a, there is a level of power going on here that we haven't, you know, we were only seeing the tip of the iceberg before. Totally. And there's there's a fun like small bit during their fight here. So, well, first I guess before they fight, he asks him like, did you fight any Death Eaters or yeah. like, did you put yourself in harm's way in the last war? And he says harm's way and. I lo- the uh, the voice actor for Bari did a great great job too, but I like the description. He says, "Mad Eye couldn't have said it with any more hardness," <laughs> and and he's like, "Fight you, Death Eaters," and he's like, two at once." And it says it had been the toughest fight of his life against one of the two of you know who's personally personal uh, personally trained warrior assassins, but he had only lost his left hand, and uh, which explains how he's Bari one hand. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming before that they called him Bari two hands. Bari ten fingers. That's right. And then uh, he's like, did you kill them? And then kind of like, the, and this is where he's like, you know, picking the hardest spell. And then this is where I think Barry makes a very sensible move. And he reaches down for his communications mirror and he says, you know, Barry to Mike, I need backup. And there's no backup coming. Mm-hmm. I, like, I don't know, maybe it's because they call it a mirror, which is then kind of an odd thing. But like, I kept thinking, it wasn't like, I wasn't thinking walkie talkies i was thinking star trek communicators which i don't know if that's because i was already primed with that because he's a red shirt but <laughs> which is funny though because like he's you know he went in there as a red shirt but he, he doesn't end up dying so no he doesn't it's, it's a nice he's doing better than the average version. red shirt yeah um i think that I, i'm sure that was intentional mm-hmm. uh you know towing the line on that trope but i guess i this is where i admit i've never seen star trek what's the difference between a star trek communicator and a walkie talkie uh, you've never seen Star Trek? I saw one of the movies, the one with... Uh, you haven't seen, fake... like, an original episode? I mean, they're not good, but, like, how have you avoided I, that? I don't have wow. I haven't had cable in 10 years, wow. and it was not when I was a kid. That's, that's, just, that's just weird. There's, like, a whole levels of, like, bad acting and silly writing that you just haven't been exposed to. Like, I'm familiar with a lot of the tropes. I've seen some of the characters. I've seen, you know, Like, William when Shatner. you hear people imitate Captain Kirk... Yes, so I'm You've familiar with that. I know Picard. Seen I know Picard was Patrick Stewart. Um, I know who Leonard Nimoy is, but that's about it. Anyway, so what's a communicator do that a walkie-talkie doesn't? Uh, it can like it. It can talk to you know outer space. Not that that's okay. terribly long range. Here. Long range walkie-talkie. Long range because you can like say beam me up, and it makes a cool like chip chip sound when you flip okay. it out. So. Well, I remember they had these mirrors in canon, and I think it just shows like it's basically like FaceTiming with somebody. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you can, but there's no video for... for Star Trek communicators didn't even have FaceTime? Didn't even have Come FaceTime. On. Nope. Oh, that's a shitty future. Yeah. They, didn't have t- um, they didn't even have touch screens. Wasn't there... Oh, no, that was Space Odyssey 2001. Uh, it's a bit of a side note, but I remember that when tablets started being a thing, Apple Apple wanted to trademark tablets as a whole. They were like, nope, that's our intellectual property. We invented the tablet. The tablet. <laughs> and, uh, the, the, Moses Samsung, invented the tablet. <laughs> I, I think Samsung was trying to like make their own and that's where this lawsuit was coming from. And Samsung's lawyers had shown that like in 2001, a space odyssey, there was a guy in the movie using a tablet, a tablet. and he's like, this is public knowledge. <laughs> like th- this is a public idea. You guys don't get to be the owners of tablets. Oh, and they won. 
That's why there's all kinds of, sh- of tablets on the market. So anyway, uh, whatever it is, his tablet doesn't have Wi-Fi, so um, <laughs> he can't get a hold of anybody. And then I like this too. So um, it's uh, and there's like another little beat earlier that when Quirrell catches Bari's stunner, that he switches the harmonics on his shield so no, his no. own spell can't pass no. through. And it's like, man, they got some heavy shit. Like this is well above like anything that we ever talked about in the rest of the book. Like, I was reminded, the, that used to, that was like the class in, in Star Trek. That was the, the, that was the secret sauce that the Borg had was that they, I can't remember if like we, if the Star Trek people had a, uh, ran or they had to cycle through the frequency on their shield. It's just like, you know, double talk techno babble, but like, Oh, we can't shoot them because they like, they're constantly rotating their shield frequencies and, what does that even mean? It doesn't mean anything. I think if you just shot missiles instead of lasers, you wouldn't have to worry about any exactly. of that. But yeah, or fuck it, it's space. Rocks, you know, rocks yeah. would do plenty of damage, um, unless you have a whatever energy sport, space shield. Anyway, this isn't space science. This is magic. So <laughs> it says that uh, the quarrel's just sitting there, all badass, and he's like, "It's been quite a while since I had a serious fight with a serious opponent." Um, and then earlier at some point. I know I'm going keep jumping out of order, but Bari says that he would have guessed because like the man's like demeanor didn't fit his body. He's yeah. like he would have guessed polyjuice, but there's no way someone could do magic that intricate inside someone else's body. And it's like, haha, you don't know Professor mm-hmm. Quirrell. Um, oh, that's true. This try- isn't fighting left-handed. He's, if he's doing it from inside a polyjuiced body. Yeah, exactly. Right, and he's still doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, "Try not to disappoint me too much. You can attack whenever you're ready, or you can walk away with 500 galleons." And then there's a long silence. And then the air screams like metal cutting glass as uh, Bari slashed his wand downward, which is just a fun mm-hmm. kind of, I don't know, description. So this is where Harry's looking at the fight through his mirror and just, you know, without getting into details, apparently it's just insane. And Harry's like, okay, I've seen exhibition duels between the strongest seventh years. And this is so far above that, that his mind felt numb. And, and then, yeah, that, and then Bari describes it like, oh, I feel like I just got schooled like I was uh, like in training. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing. So then Harry's saying, there wasn't a single seventh year who could have lasted half a minute against the Auror, and all seventh year armies put together might not be able to scratch the defense professor. Yeah. I found and, myself, I'm wondering, it may not have worked, but um, I found myself like wanting to have like a like a super long description of an awesome like fight. Um, I don't know like how that would have worked like narrative wise, if that would have been distracting or whatever, but, um, and it probably worked to just describe it as like, and then this awesome thing happened and then we fill in the blanks. But I remember as I was reading that, I was like, Oh, I wanted to like see that happen. I think, yeah, that would have been cool. cool shit happened. If I'm, if I'm being charitable to the author, what I'm guessing is that like the fact that it's one kind of rushed paragraph description Mm -hmm. conveys like how incomprehensible it is to Harry. Yeah. And so, like, it's, in fact, it even says it was all happening too fast. Red blasts deflecting from blue shields, green bars of light. And then he says he couldn't even tell who was casting what, except that when the R was shouting incantation after incantation and frantically dodging, while Professor Quirrell's polyjuiced form stood in one place with his wand, mostly silently, but now and then pronouncing words in unrecognizable languages that would white out the whole mirror and show half of the R's shielding being torn away as he staggered back. And I wanted to grab that line about the incomprehensible languages because I'm guessing that's interdicted knowledge. Mm. So, like, he's just standing there. Like, I'm just, I'm just picturing him one hand behind his back, barely looking at Bari, just like... Yeah. Remember, I like, when Neo's like, learning like a, how to fight? Oh, yeah. He's just kind of, like, leaning one way or the other to dodge things. Or, yeah, yeah, he's, like, he's kung like trying, fu fighting with his hands behind his back. Yeah. yeah. And so he's just like, yeah, whatever. All right. And then... Um, 
Yeah, then this moves. So he's got the R down on his, like, I guess on his one hand and one knee. And uh, he's just got, it's basically, you know, very dramatic, like a, like a movie. He's got yes. his hand, his gun, his wand to his head. Do you have any last words? I'm picturing him. Yeah, he's just like, surrender. And the R is bat something unspeakable, which I'm guessing was like, lick my taint or something. <laughs> and... <laughs> or, you know, whatever. I mean, what's unspeakable when we're about watch, when we're about to see somebody get murdered? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so I know I've been doing a bit of the narration, but um, do you can yeah he, um, whatever he so yeah he's about to basically do that like he almost should have had like a catchphrase right at that point, um, but yeah and so as Harry's like and so Harry's been watching all this through the mirror the whole time, um, and like in like unplanned involuntary when Harry realizes that a oh, wait Quirrell is really about to just execute this guy. Um, and, oh yeah. And, and Quirrell actually start, you know, he gets halfway through saying Avada Kedavra, um, and like poof the, do we, do we have a cute name for the, uh, what was he? Glowy guy, Mr. Glowy guy, Mr. Mr. Glowy, person. Mr. Glowy person just like, you know, pops up in the middle and this like totally, um, like involuntary, like unplanned by Harry. So it was, it was a good effect that, um, so, it, like, A, it's something that's not supposed to be able to be done is to just block uh, the green bolt uh, of an Avada Kedavra. Um, but also that Harry didn't even mean to do it or didn't even think about the fact that he was doing it. It just sort of, like, I mean, it was not so much like didn't even think about it, but, <clears throat> like, unplanned spur-of-the-moment thing that he could do this, like, theoretically undoable thing um, in other situations. Um, so, yeah, that was a good good effect. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, I'll let you think of it while I just elaborate that I totally liked that too. Um, <laughs> it's and we get the uh, description earlier from Patro- Patronuses or Patroni. I'm going to say Patroni because it's more fun. Mm-hmm. Um, that they when they move, like they can they can move like in regular motion, or they just like kind of are one place and then another. Yeah. Like when uh, when was the other description we get when Professor McGonagall's cat is talking to Hermione. And it just like shows up and then it jumps away, but it's, it doesn't like yeah. you know, walk back to her office. It's oh, just yeah. gone. It just sort of is gone. So this thing just teleports between the, the Avada Kedavra and the Auror and just tanks the spell. Uh, well, actually, I guess I'm not sure. It doesn't tank it because it, well, just, it goes out. Oh, yeah. And, and this is again, yeah. the, like the, yeah, I forgot this description was a little vague or I couldn't quite follow it because it's that like, it blocks, it's almost, it sort of does what, like in the original story that it like ricochets back at him, except that wasn't, it wasn't so much that there was like a ricochet, back, but the fact that the, <clears throat> that the Patronus like blocked the shot hurt Quirrell. Uh, it wasn't clear yeah. to me like the, the how or why of it. So here's, here's kind of how it describes, cause it happens fast and this is an action scene. So like it's, it's easy to miss when, when Bari, so then it goes, then it, it cuts back to Bari's perspective and uh it's the the light jumps in front of him in the impossible shape before the green light and the silver light collided and both lights vanished both lights vanished the killing curse had been blocked um so and i think that stood out to me because when it's read in the audiobook it's it's you know enunciated very clearly Mm -hmm. um but but basically both lights go out it doesn't ricochet the spell um it just it just winks out which is supposed to also be impossible so yeah so this is uh, so it's more like their their magic's uh, touched like that, that dangerous like oh my god they can't these two magics can't touch or they'll or it'll hurt him um, so I guess it, it seems like that. it'll hurt them both because yeah. Harry's also screaming 
Um, I guess that's true. Hurt it, Harry a lot less. It, it, it does seem to hurt him less, yeah. Which is, I guess, nice. Um, yeah, so, like, what happens is, like, the uh, the the spell dissolves, and then there's, you know, the prof- the uh, the defense professor's, like, writhing and screaming, and he drops his wand, and it turns into a snake. Oh, no, he does that after he does a second. That, well, First, and that what was significant yeah. is it wasn't that he dropped his wand, and I think it's because uh, Bari notices and comments on it that he threw his wand. Like it wasn't. That's yeah, right. It wasn't just that he like lost it. He, they made him, and I'm, we didn't get any like explanation of why. But that it was like a conscious, intentional thing for him to have like ditched the wand. I don't know if like because uh, in a little bit, uh, Bellatrix picks it up to obliviate um, Bari. But I got the impression that there was more significance to it than just like oh, let's make sure that in the plot that the wand is still there. But because doesn't he? And he um, he sort of like turns into the snake like as he's falling, right? Because he just sort of like hits the uh. ground as a snake or. I can't remember. He's it almost says immediately that, asleep, like, though. Well, it, almost immediately. Bari has time to try and stun him, and the, the spell is just torn apart and dissipated. Not by any shield. Bari oh, could yeah. see it. The wavering in the air that surrounded his fallen and screaming opponent. So I guess he's already, like, down on the ground writhing, and then he tries to stun him, and the spell just, like, kind of dissolves. Yeah, and, what, and, I, then, and I didn't get that either. What like what? I was going to say, what did you think? Well, you already know. Um, I guess because I'm not clear. So because it wasn't... I didn't get the impression that that was Voldemort or Quirrell. I guess he really is Voldemort in my head now. Um, I didn't get the impression that that was like, oh, Quirrell had a defense that like stopped that spell. I mean, I guess it could have been, but that wasn't the way it described it. It almost like it was described as like, like unexplainable or at least like, oh, that's supposed to be a mystery right now. Like, why would that bit of magic sort of dissolve, especially since he had just had his ass kicked? Bari could feel it like a deadly pressure on his skin, the flux of magic building and building and building towards some terrible breaking point. Yeah. His instincts screamed at him to run before the explosion came. This this was no charm, no curse. This was wizardry run wild. And so that's, yeah. I'm assuming, just what dissolved it. Like, it's just raw magic. Yeah, okay, so I, and I guess this is sort of like... It's not into a spell or anything. Yeah. It's, just, it's just this, I don't know, you know, if, if casting a spell is like dipping into your 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 mana well this is just like punching a hole in it and there's no there's no spell out it's just magic or the yeah and this is just yeah and this is the like the quarrel harry don't cross the streams thing like this is just the still not fully explained outcropping of whatever that was yeah Yeah. it seems like it and then that's when he throws away his wand and then turns into a snake and then bari stuns the snake without resistance and the like the snake was, I'm, I'm assuming already unconscious because it was already yeah. motionless. But then Bari, because he's awesome, just shoots it anyway because double <laughs> tap is probably the second rule they teach you in uh, aura training. And so then the dead, the dreadful flex was dissipating, and he could hear the choked off screaming of a of a young boy down the stairs. And so that's how I know that Harry was also yelling, mm. and. Uh, it stopped right after Quirrell turned into a snake and was unconscious. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I liked about, um, before we get too far from that, was that like this was a really, um, it was a good way, but I think also like important that we're, that we this scene where Harry like accidentally not accidentally is the wrong word, but like you know un, un, unintentionally is also the wrong word without trying uh, or thinking about it uh, ahead of time, like blocks that spell was a like oh this kid is way more power like this is a significant bit of way more like power than we thought was going on and i guess it's like tied in with the like that it's kind of one and the same with the with the just kind of like human patronus thing but 
um, like there, there was a lot of like like the spirit, like Neo in the Matrix stuff going on. And I think in my notes, I also like joke that he's the Kwisatz Haderach, which I guess you didn't get that. That's a Dune reference. I need he's, to read Dune. He's more deep. Um, but yeah. but yeah, like this is one of those moments like where we see this as like, oh my God, there's a lot of power going on here. And I guess as I'm sort of like verbalizing it, that it does make sense to like tie that in as being like, that's the significance of his human Patronus. But I think this was a good like scene. It was like a, an exclamation point in the, you know, like description of like, oh, Harry's got on to a, like, you know, a level of power that wizarding world has not been aware of. Yeah, no, I like what you, I like that. And it, it's, it is badass because like if it came down, it's like, I can't think of a good analogy right off, but like he's not stronger than other wizards. He has tools that they don't have. Yeah. And so he can do things that seem impossible and that can circumvent other crazy powerful things. The other thing that's not clear to me from this scene is like, does the Patronus 2.0 block the killing curse because it's a death spell, just like it can kill Dementors? Or did it just break Quirrell's magic because their magic can't touch? Like, I, I'm wondering if this would work against any killing curse or if it would only work against uh, any magic that the defense professor is casting. My, I got the, that what my impression was is that it was the, I mean, it's vague enough that it could be anything from here, but the, the way I was thinking about it was that it was like this, like matter, antimatter, life, death thing like th- that it was. So it wouldn't have been necessarily just Quirrell that it was, um, that it was the, like the Patronus is life and Avada Kedavra is death. That's pretty cool, yeah. and that makes this that makes the Patronus two point like a much like being able to kill Dementors is tight and all, but being able to block the Killing Curse is yeah. a whole other level of of yeah. power to this spell, right? Yeah. What I'm this, still this I'm make, still not clear like how to I don't I don't know how to like file it in my brain like how does that because it seems like that's also pretty closely tied to the whole like don't cross the streams thing uh, with Harry's magic and Quirrell's magic, but I'm not sure like those two seem related like the don't cross the streams and Patronuses are life and Avada Kedavra's death, but I'm not sure that I can't think of a pattern that has those all neatly meaning the same thing. I like it though. Puzzle yeah. pieces. Um, so yeah, this is then at this point, Barry is like puts, you know, puts on, puts back on his badass voice and he's like, all right, look, well, so he heals himself up a bit and he's like, it says that he's on the brink of magical exhaustion and he says, you know, come out. All right, fine. Uh, you know, come out or I start using area effect curses. And it says he probably he, he probably couldn't have managed one if he had tried. But it's basically like, come out or I'm going to set the whole fucking stairwell on fire. <laughs> and uh, he's like, okay, sorry, I'm coming out. And then this is where he does the, um, the I don't know what you call it. I had a word for it. Not sucker punch. Uh, uh, yeah, suck, well, sucker punch is a good term for it. What Harry did. Yeah. That's yeah, pretty much so he comes punch. up and... Yeah, it, it works. It's just I had to, I think I had a funnier word a second ago. I can't think of it. But he comes out and he's like, yeah, I'm sorry. He kidnapped me. He made me cast my Patronus. And what I liked about this, too, was like, so Bari recognizes the boy who lived because of the scar yeah. in the eyes. And um, if he had a 20 fewer years experience, he might have blinked <laughs> instead. And it's like he's just, it, he just it just paints him as such a badass. And then what I what I liked about this, too, is like it's it's interesting. So it says Bari's mind was still dazed but things were still slowly starting to click into place harry potter the only wizard ever to survive a killing curse barry might have been able to dodge the green death he had certainly been trying but if it came before the wizengamot they'd rule it a life debt to a noble house what's funny like is that in barry's mind the fact that it's harry potter he's like mm-hmm. oh that explains it yeah but like that ex- that explains what how does that explain it 
And it's it just, it's you know, like it's he's just thinking in plot importance. Yeah, of course. Plot right. And, I like the, the that he was is, like immediately like fast forwarding all of that. He's like like the he was playing the story ahead. Like okay, it's Harry Potter, so that's what the everybody's impression of this is going to be later. Like he was sort of like you know processing how this was going to play out in the end because oh the boy who lives just showed up in this story. Yeah, and I think that's kind of funny because like even it's like super. Um, on under the radar on his own thinking yeah. he's like he's also thinking in stories he's like oh the boy who lived that's how he blocked the killing curse but like that's not an explanation <laughs> right that's true i like i, I, I hope just, i hope i hope this isn't the last of the bari character because um, I, I like the way it's gonna be kind of hard to like we can't keep up this whole like cop show joke for very long before it gets old but uh so i don't know but it'd be cool if we, we see this character a little bit more i hope so um Anyway, so Harry goes to hand him his wand because he's like, all right, look, I'm sorry what you've been through, but you should drop the cloak and drop your wand. And then Harry, instead of dropping it, again, playing the perfect mm-hmm. character here, he's like, oh, I'm sorry. And he like, goes to hand it to him. Mm-hmm. And Barry's like, it says he barely stops himself from snarling at the traumatized boy who had saved his life. He's like, look, son, you're really not supposed to point your wand at. And then when it's in his hand, he twists it and somniums him and knocks him out, which is yeah. like just kind of like a, a funny circumvent again so it's one of those like we talked about with uh like this this isn't harry being he, he didn't overpower him it's just sneakier. he tricked him right sneakier yeah it's it's one of those things like it it's not just about strength it's about how creative can you be with the tools you've got oh, we so skipped, like, All right, well, we well i've got a first year sleep spell how am i gonna get that through this mm-hmm. fucking seasoned horror oh i'll just i'll just hand him my wand before i give it to him i'll just all i've got is these Nail clippers. How am I going to hijack this plane? <laughs> uh, we we skipped yeah. over. You pulled a, a good quote uh, from uh, Bari. He said, how in the name of Merlin's balls did anyone block the killing curse? <laughs> yes, <laughs> thank balls. you. I didn't mean to pass that up. I, I also put that's the best expletive in the whole book, I think. Solid. Yeah. So, and that, now it's just like, a, there. like just a big... Great line. Uh, so, Quirrell's on the floor. Bari's on the floor. And now he's like, oh, fuck, this is all fucked up. Um, yeah, and it's not, and I, like, and like, I like that a lot. And Bellatrix just sort of like wanders over now that the dust is settling. Yeah, I think, oh, no, not quite. Um, well, what I like about, before we get over back to Bella, Bellatrix, is that, like, what I love about the clever move that Harry does here is also his reaction to it. Like, I don't think he'd have felt clever or successful even without the dementation sinking in. Like, he, he I don't think he feels good about, like, hey, look at that, I knocked out the R. Um, oh, yeah. I think he's just more like, oh, fuck, this is such a fucking mess. And so it describes it. He's staring at the Aura's crumpled body and there is no sense of triumph, just a crushing sense of despair. Oh, yeah. And, well, yeah, because he's just so like bummed out that Quirrell. <laughs> I, I think he's trying to figure out that Quirrell's maybe not the nicest person. Um, it certainly seems like yeah. it. Like that's that's his thing. Is he's, yeah, so he's just he turns to him and he says that. in parcel tongue, he's like, teacher, friend, please, are you still alive? And he says... Uh, in that moment, he had entirely forgotten that he'd just seen the defense professor try to kill a police officer. Yeah. And, well, it's funny. Like, then it like makes me think back. Like, how like nutty is it that Harry was going along with it? Like, what is Harry even doing in this plan? Like, how, yeah. At this point, it's starting to seem a lot less like, like a hey, let's go rec- rescue this damsel in distress, and more like, all right, let's go do some crazy yeah. evil criminal shit. And if I have to murder my way out of this place, I'm going to. Um, it's it's wild. And the other thing too that like it's it's not elaborated on much here i think in the next chapter he goes on to like try and like reminisce a little bit about like why the fuck did this happen yeah but uh well but i think that's where like i think his inner slytherin uh 
uh, says in a, in a little bit that like oh this it's not smarter quarrel unless this was planned. Uh, well, no, I guess the like he probably didn't plan on uh, having Harry block his Avada Kedavra, but the you know fra- almost framing Harry into participating in the into the murder of an Auror as being like an intentional plan and that like Quirrell was ho- hoping to get caught uh, seemed like a, a solid theory. I think he he successfully undercuts that his own theory in that same line of thought. But since we're not there yet, I'll have to wait mm-hmm. till we get there so I can refresh my memory. But um, yeah, so then he, he goes back to Bellatrix and enervates her. Um, oh, no, wait, no, he doesn't do that yet either. No, That's no, all no. next chapter. So right now he's just... Uh, I think he's just sort of like bummed out and then we uh, and then we go back to the cops, I think. I don't think we like advance. That's right. He's just sitting there depressed about what's going on. And there's like these parentheticals where it's like the last seconds ticked away and then it was already too late. Like at this point, I think that's just kind of like uh, meta text to us and or you know to the story of yeah. like, oh man, if only he'd remembered right away to recast his Patronus, then a he wouldn't be depressed and spiraling right now, and b um, it was only out for a second. They probably wouldn't, you know, the Dementors might not have noticed Bellatrix Black missing, but instead it they do, and it goes back to Lee and McCusker, um, and it. I love how it describes this. They, they were both staring at the windows. So they both saw it at the same time. The naked, skeletally thin horror rising up to hover outside the window. The headache already hitting them from seeing it. And what I like about that is, like, uh, it. They, I guess they don't wear cloaks, the Dementors. They're just these horrible monster masses at the bottom of the pit in Azkaban. Oh, yeah, I guess I wonder if, like, if the cloak is part of however, like, the, the way they're pictured in the movies. I wonder if maybe the cloak is just whatever you feel like seeing. Most people see a cloak. Yeah. They like they're grim reapery, but only because you think they should be grim reapery. Yeah, I get the impression from this that they get they are handed cloaks before they go out in public or something, which is an interesting thing on it. But I just uh, like how it says that the headache hit them from seeing it, and then they both heard the voice like a long dead corpse had spoken words, and those words themselves had aged and died. <laughs> yeah. The Dementor's speech hurt their ears as it says. Bellatrix Black is out of her cell. So it's another good like and pacing, like serialized pacing. Like tune in next week. Um, totally. I wonder if because I, I like normally hate that kind of thing. I wonder if that would have bothered me if I was reading this like live, as it was done. Man, you should you should read a serial comic or serial. I, that's what point. I'm telling you. You know, like uh, East of West comic I was telling you about is still in the fucking middle of it, and it's driving me crazy. Yeah. Yeah. When did it start? Do you, remember, uh, do you have been, any idea? It's, it's like in, uh, I forget how much they're aggregated. So it's like volume nine is what's out now. But I think those are like three, I think they're like three or, no, they can't be six months. I think they're three months each. So a couple of years. Sorry. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's rough. That's not I know, so, so I like, you know, buzzed through them like, and that was like six months ago. And then like, oh, one more volume finally came out. And yeah, that's what it's been like reading Berserk for the last 10 years. Um, <laughs> That that manga came out, I think, in 1989 or something, or 19 mid late 1980s, and then they made an anime adaptation in, in the late 90s of like arcs or volumes like three through 11, and we're somewhere in the in uh, volume 37 right now, and like there were years where like just like peppered, like all right, here's a chapter, here's a chapter. And then there was like a year where it's like, oh, cool, a chapter a month. And that's been basically dead yeah. for like the last year. It's going to finish eventually, but it's been, what year is it? It's been like 30 years that this story has been going oh on. My God. So, yeah. See, I keep, um, like, I keep telling myself and then not remembering that before I start reading something, like check to see if it 
is it finished or am I going to like get halfway through and then sit around? It's pretty good. Like if enough time goes by, it's like, okay, I, and I'm not a rereader of things. Um, like I've forgotten it all. Like, well. Yeah. I did that with um, the, I think I mentioned the wheel of time earlier and it's like 11,000 pages long. I think it's 15 books. And I read through like book 10 or 11 and then took like a year break and then went to go pick up the next book. And I'm like, I have no idea what the fuck is happening. Yeah. And I had to go back and reread like nine books and they're like 800 pages each. So oh that God. was rough. <laughs> if you're going to, if you're going to read those, I recommend uh, reading them all, you know, oh, sequentially and God, you can skip the, I mean, the descriptions of clothing and tapestries <laughs> and whatever are fine, but I do not need a perfect picture of the room. Just tell me what's happening. I, I like some picture. Apparently, I never read uh, A Song of Ice and Fire, but apparently George R. R. Martin does that with, like, food. Really? Interesting. My... He really describes, like, the the food. <laughs> That's what I've been told, Do anyway. you know. That was my, my takeaway from uh, Hunger Games, was it was way too much description of what people were wearing. Yeah, I like having enough to paint a picture so I can tell them apart in my head, especially if it's costumes. Like, uh, Worm and Ward, I think, does this perfectly. And it even describes outfits, but it's not over much. Yeah. And, like, the way it describes outfits is, like, oh, cool, this paints the picture of, like, what that character is like because they're the kind of person who would wear this. Um, and then, of course, costume descriptions. If you're a superhero, you pick out your own costume, and what you pick out says a lot about you. It's, like, that all does – that's the, it's the exact perfect amount. And then I can and picture, if you're a superhero oh, yeah. with your costume, like, the, and that's it. We describe that thing once, and that's what you're in for the rest of the story. Right. And when it changes, <laughs> it's significant. And so, like – you know, if I know that this guy wears basically like black hockey pads and a skull mask, cool. Now I know what he looks like, right? Mm-hmm. It's perfect. Anyway, so um, I've got to mention too that the uh, the guy who did Bari also does the, the Dementor, but it's like heavily modified. Mm. And I would try and do it, but I know that if, if computers didn't help make that noise happen, then <laughs> the guy is just a, a, a verbal musician. But it's, it's like this horrible, like... Uh, I can't. I was gonna try and do it, but I think I laughed partway through. Um, it's this deep, just scary-sounding voice, mm-hmm. and it's all slow and drawn out. And then it works perfectly because then it says there was a split second of horrified silence. Then Lee tore out of his chair, heading for the communicator to call in reinforcements from the ministry. Even as McCusker grabbed his mirror and started frantically trying to raise uh, the three R's who had gone on patrol. So again, I also just like that you know while they're here and they've had enough time to sit around and do nothing but play five thousand three hundred sixty-six games of poker, <laughs> like the second something happens, they're like boom, action. Yeah. Like so, they're they're clearly competent. This isn't like the 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 bummer or like the the place where they send you for fucking up a desk job, right? Yeah. And, and apparently, I, yeah. even though it's a it's a low stress job, or excuse me, not a low stress, but a low action job, they send good people yeah. to work here. Yeah, and I, and I think I like, like, in this and in the original books, like, aurors were always shown as, like, there were no, like, you know, donut-eating aurors. It was always, they right. were always, like, you know, uh, checkable, Shackleton, checkable. Um, yeah, they were always, like, sort of, and it's kind of non-specifically badass. Um, yeah, just competent. Yeah. You never got a sense of, like you said, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. he's here because it pays $10 more an hour than the magical post office, and yeah. they get to, you know, they get these cool badges. No, man, they're all here because they're they're trained soldiers, yeah. basically. And uh, and the, think, even though it's still kind of a little funny in how it's described, but uh, and a little bit later when the clown car of cops crawls out of the uh, the cabinet, the vanishing, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, that it's it's sort of like still it's like a you know, and it's a, again like a very explicitly like cop show vibe to it. Um, but yeah, it's like they're all like okay, the badasses have shown up. Um, yeah, it's and, awesome. 
and the I like how you put that the clown car of, of uh, horror show up because that's exactly what it feels like but like, you don't get the sense that it's clowns coming out it's, it's just like it's troop after troop of just you know armored and ready yeah. to fight soldiers like you get the feeling that like every or is like a seal you're know, like a navy yeah. seal yeah anyway then we cut to chapter 55 where um Harry is still wondering if the defense professor's dead, so he kind of creeps towards it and reaches out his hand, and then he feels ever so weakly the sense of doom. And he's like, oh, okay, good, he's alive. Well, not good, actually. He's just like, oh, he's alive. Yeah. The thought engendered no feeling of joy, only empty despair. And I like this, too, because then he's thinking, oh, man, I'm going to get caught soon. No matter how I try to explain it, this won't look good. No one's going to trust me again. They'll, they'll think I'm the next Dark Lord. They won't help me when it comes time to fight Voldemort. Hermione, Hermione will give up on me. Maybe maybe even Dumbledore will look for another hero. Mm-hmm. Maybe, they'll just send me, maybe they'll just send me home to my parents. Which I think that line is a rather optimistic line of reasoning for the crime you've just uh, <laughs> been in. Like, they're, they're not going to take you your wand and send you home to your parents. You're in fucking trouble, dude. <laughs> You're going to have to go to your room. That reminds me of that line from, I think it's the first Harry Potter book where, oh my god, we could be killed or expelled worse. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the most Hermioneism yeah. thing to say. But then, yeah, so, and this, and then we, then we see it a little bit, this is, like, this is Harry being, because his uh, Patronus has been down, so this is the dementation starting to get to him as he's, like, I mean, he's legit, like, freaked out that everything's kind of gone to hell, but um, but he's being like super hopeless about it, um, and he catches himself in a little bit. But um, but what happened that I thought was interesting, as as he's kind of slipping into that, uh, he also kind of like goes a little Voldemorty with it. Um, and so the quote I pulled was, um, "It might not be too late," whispered a voice inside him. "You might still be able to fix your mistake." The Auror saw you. He remembers that you stunned him. But if he were dead, if Professor Quirrell were dead, if Bellatrix were dead, there would be no one to contradict your story. Um, and that saying, I think also just like the, uh, just the repetition, like dead, 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 uh, reminded me of when, uh, when Harry was waking up from his dementation, uh, back at Hogwarts and that his like, oh, you're annoying. You should die. That person's annoying. They should die. Um, at the time when I read that, I just thought of that as like, okay, that's like dark, you know, evil, that's like glib and dark and evil, you know, dementation coming out of his mouth uh but what i realized with this like so this reminded me of that but that um it also made me think that um it's specifically death is what it's not just that he's like being dark and hopeless or whatever it's that death is like the solution to all of this is like okay they need to die they need to die um and so this is that that dementation is again like tying back to how dementors are death so it wasn't just darkness it was specifically death um yeah i really like that i had never made that explicit connection before um like it was clear that oh yeah it fucks with his head and makes him dark, yeah. but yeah you're right both times he just goes full on like oh let me just kill all my problems, yeah. and I I never made that connection before that's awesome. Yeah, I wonder as I'm just rolling that around in my brain like so if that's like a like he's internalizing dementorness, um, does that mean like is are dementors as death a thing that some sort of force that desires death or is it just because i always think of like i think of death as just being sort of like the you know the absent like it's entropy it's like just the ending of things um so i wonder like is this because this seems to be something that's a thing that desires death um as opposed to just like a dying thing like they, they it's almost like like do dementors represent dying or do they represent killing 
Um, and this is sort of almost why like it's actively going out like, okay, let's go kill things. They should die. Yeah, that's a good question. And I don't know. It may not go. It may, may not be that this that. is supposed to, may not be that this is supposed to tie into that that much, but that's what I was just like wondering. No, like, I mean, it's, it's a good question. Like, or it's a good thought to have. I'm trying to just, now I'm tossing around in my noggin and nothing's coming out yeah. the other side other than like, or maybe, maybe, maybe we don't distinguish between the two. To, sorry, what? Maybe we don't distinguish between, like at least in this story, maybe the like a distinction between, I guess, because I, because I think of, of like that force of death as being sort of a passive giving up um, or in a, you know, a, a falling apart of things built up. Um, but this is just more like a, like as described this way, it's more like an act of aggression, um, a thing that is done as opposed to a, just like a falling apart. Yeah, no, I like that. It's interesting. I, I guess I can see it going a couple of ways. Like I get the feeling that if Dumbledore were somehow exposed to a Dementor without his Patronus, I don't know if he would start suddenly start thinking, all right, time to start killing people. But yeah, it's, it's maybe it's just the fact that like, like with with you know the the specters of death screaming in your head that you know murder suddenly becomes this very appealing option, yeah. and it, it so whether or not that's like the Dementors trying to get you to kill people or if it's just like again unconsciously in your head death death yeah that's interesting yelling. yeah now that you say that that like the way we usually see um, when like how this is affected Bellatrix like like the Dementors like you know eat away their souls and like they are affected by the dementors but like the effect on harry like harry changes like harry becomes dementorish um but and i think that's like we only see that happen to harry like everybody else is like they become like he's hopeless here but then he's also like he takes on this like okay everybody should die thing and i i can't remember i don't i, I can't think of other people being affected by dementors as like becoming dementorish like that's only happened to harry yeah good point I don't know what to make of that. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll keep that in our back pocket. Um, or I guess on the, we'll, we'll stick a pin in that, is how, you, is how you're supposed to. Let's table let's that table for that. now. And we'll, we'll, we'll let's circle take, that. Let's take that offline. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> We've had too many Zoom meetings these last couple of months. I'll, um, I'll take that action item. God. Um, let's see. So, uh, yeah, so he basically he raises his hand with his wand pointing at the police officer and then he's like, wait a minute, that doesn't seem like something I would do, even though he can't remember like what the kind of thing he would do yeah. is. And he's like, oh, yeah, like I care about human life. And uh, he's trying to puzzle out like, all right, well, I get the feeling that I'm acting incongruous with myself. Like, what's going on here? And then he's like, OK, oh, I'm an Azkaban. Oh, I didn't cast my Patronus. And he's just like, oh, well, fuck. And then he was like, all right, well, I'll just do that. And then he couldn't remember how. And then like that comes with its own, like, you know, just fist of, of crushing despair. And he's like, okay, well, fuck, hold on. Uh, you know, I, I really have to just be really skeptical of all of these uh, despairing feelings because I can't trust them. They're not natural. And uh, you're, you pulled out this long quote here about um, when he's trying to kind of talk himself out of his, dementation state here yeah but um and i highlighted it for uh opposite reasons but uh, i'll read it though uh <clears throat> that may be the dementation talking rather than an accurate estimate observe the logical part of himself habits that have been encoded into sheer reflex 
<clears throat> requiring no energy to activate. Think of the Dementor's fear as a cognitive bias and try to overcome it the way you would overcome any other cognitive bias. Your hopeless feelings may not indicate that the situation is actually hopeless. It may only indicate that you are in the presence of Dementors. All negative emotions and pessimistic estimates must now be considered suspect, fallacious until proven valid. Um, and like my, so my, it's, uh, you and I had very different uh, reactions to this, but um, for me, and this like it tied, this will sort of be a rehash of of my thoughts around like his his anti death speech uh, when he first gets his when he first makes the human Patronus, but like there's a so there's like a a you know a sincere thought going on here, but it comes across like very stilted and I think I use the word luxury. Um, and it's a probably because, and then a little later in here, it does, it does come across being, feeling like there's kind of like more passion behind it. But I guess maybe in like, as a person who's been sort of like treated for depression, like this whole like mind over matter bullshit just irritates the fuck out of me. But, um, like you're not going to be able to like think your way out of like, and especially because like dementors, dementors are death, but there's also like this very, like, you know, this sort of negativity and hopelessness is, is like a really good proxy for just like depressive, hopeless thoughts. Um, which, and so it was interesting. And as I was sort of like thinking about my reaction to it, that, um, like I could totally get behind and get really like, um, you know, invested in something that's like this, that idea of like, oh, I don't trust my emotions. I don't trust my thoughts because like everything I'm saying is suspect. Like I could be like the, the content of what he's saying here, I could be totally on board with, but if it just it feels like really like disconnected from uh, from his just sort of like actual you know I don't want to sound like wanky like his emotional experience of it but it's just like it's like he's stuck up in his frontal lobe about the whole thing and um and later and later we'll get to that I'm forgetting what the actual quote was oh no I pulled that quote too but like later it does feel like like sort of the passion uh came with it too but um I think that's what like falls flat for me a lot is the the thought like the content of the thought could be like really together but it it just feels like it comes from a like a very dry i guess safe place and i I kind of tossing this back into um the idea of like that a lot of this is written with a very sort of like public mindset like these are thoughts that are safe to have knowing that uh, an entire subreddit is going to be picking your words apart um (laughs) and so that so like the like it even probably starts from a from a place of like you know a you know, a real passionate emotion, but then it's sort of like, it's kind of getting all dissected and, and filed into this kind of very cerebral spot. Because if, you know, if you're having that, that thought about, cause I could, like, I could totally feel like, Oh, if you've gone through these moments of hopelessness and, and being absolutely certain that nothing is going to ever work and it's entirely hopeless and, and not feeling that way, but just knowing it as a certainty. And then only later do you realize, well, no, I was just fucking wrong. Um, and having to just sort of like trust yourself, be like, okay, no, this is one of those moments where I'm wrong. Um, like that, at least for me, like even just describing that one to me like that, like, like a lot of emotion, like build builds up behind that. Um, but like the way this described, it just feels like, like all of that just sort of like gets, you know, dehydrated out of the whole thing and stuck away. And we're just left with sort of the shell of the thought. Um, so, and, and it's too bad for me because it's, because it's a, it's a, like a, I thought is the wrong, like the wrong word, but like that whole idea, like I could really sort of like get excited about, but um, I feel like it almost sort of um, robs it of of the the power of it to to put it so cerebrally. 
I feel like yeah, I feel like no, I, I like just put you, 500 you, words to a 50 word thought, but no, no, that's great. I, I think um, like calling it frontal lobe actually kind of works because that's what this is, right? Yeah. He's he's not in tune with his emotions. In fact, he's thinking like explicitly outside of them, yeah. and I totally get where like it might feel unsatisfying to have him be like, all right, let me think my way out of these emotions yeah. because as somebody who's had bad emotions, like you can't just do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, but that's the thing. Sometimes you kind of sort of can, and I think. What he's doing here is like it's specifically not emotional because his emotions aren't working right now. So he's like, all right, safe between. And like you said, it's a safe uh, kind of wall. So he's like, all right, walled off from my emotions. Let's just think through this. And he's got his now. Now it is just all frontal lobe, you know, cerebral thinking mm-hmm. of, OK, yes, let me let me think of this in terms of a cognitive bias and I'll overcome it like I would another cognitive bias. And like there's there's no feeling there whatsoever. But I think. That might be because he can't feel reliably right now, yeah. and it it depends. Like I, um, I mean, I've had I don't know how you put it on a scale of one to ten diagnosed low level depression for like a decade, mm. um, and it's you know when it's when I notice it, I could catch that and be like, oh yeah, you're just depressed. Like things are fine, mm-hmm. so there's no reason to sit there and keep spiraling. Um, a really easy example is like in the. Uh, hypothetically so i hear i've never used drugs but if i had i am told um that's all my disclaimer for the, <laughs> uh for the uh what do you call it the dea um like in the days after using mdma uh you it's it's extremely common to have like just extremely depressed mood yeah and so like you use mdma on a weekend and then the whole next week you just feel like shit and you're like my job sucks my life sucks what am i even doing with myself and then you know, I've had exact moments like what Harry has here, where it's like, hold on, your feelings aren't real right now. I mean, your feelings are real, you're having them, but they're not, they're not a reliable indicator of how you should actually be feeling about life right now. You're feeling bad. And here is the reason why it's because of, of what you did on Saturday. So like when you can, when you can point to that and say, oh yeah, I'm depressed because I'm hungover or something, not because my life actually sucks. It makes that moment suck less. And it makes you able to think more sanely about like, why am I feeling this way? Or what am I thinking about? Um, I, I do see, like I said, I think I totally get where you're coming from. Yeah. And I think that the, the, the frontal lobiness of it might've been intentional just because he can't rely on his emotions. But when you pull out uh, in the next bit, um, when he's kind of, yeah, very shortly after this, back, he does kind of, yeah. And I think that's because now he's able to, all right, let me, let me think about this again with my emotion without, with being able to, bring my emotionality back into it because now I can trust my emotions again. And so, um, yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, so basically he's sitting there thinking about that and he's trying to remember what happy thought it was. And he's like, well, something about death, but that's not happy. That can't be it. Okay. Uh, and then again, like more sweeping depression when he remembers that he can't remember when he realizes he can't remember. And he's like, all right, well, hold on. Let's keep trying. When was the last time I talked to somebody about Dementors? And he tells, he thinks about the, um, telling Professor Kroll to hold on to the memory of the stars, like an occlumency barrier. And then he remembers uh, teaching Draco the Patronus charm. And then that that's where uh, you grab the next quote where he's getting his mojo back here. Yeah. And the way he's able to like that. And, and I did that like, and this is where it like gets effective and why I thought of this whole scene as being like probably, it wasn't that I, uh, I'm like, oh, I hate the way this is done. I'm like, oh, this is like, this stumbled in the way it, it did it. And so, and so this, where he gets to, um, I like more, um, in how he connected to it. But, um, anyway, the quote I pulled was, um, 
so the first thing is that he he is able to like stumble into remembering that he had told Quirrell um, that to think of the stars as the way to sort of like fight that feeling off. And so he's like almost able to just almost just think of the words that said it. And that's able to get him like uh, into the thought to start doing. And that's how he's like able to kind of snap out of it. Um, But then what he says is, but there are other lives that are still alive to be fought for your life and my life and Hermione Granger's life, all the lives of earth and all the lives beyond to be defended and protected. Then the idea of killing everyone that hadn't been his true self, that had been the dementation talking Despair was the Dementor's influence. Where there's life, there's hope. The Aura is still alive. Professor Quirrell is still alive. Bellatrix is still alive. I'm still alive. No one's actually died yet. Harry could picture the Earth now, in the midst of the star field, the blue-white orb, and I won't let them. Expecto Patronum. I probably didn't say it that deeply. Um, so I like this a lot, and, and, and this reminds me of what I had been talking about that other time, about, like, he's tying, and he says, like, um, your life, my life, Hermione Granger's life, you know, the ore is alive, Professor Quirrell's alive, that he's, you know, able to tie that to the specifics. And then he also does, he's like, all the lives of Earth, he, t- he ties it to the, to the big thing, too. But um, then that makes it feel, like, more real, and, like, the, the thing I said that sounded more clever than it really is, like, if it's true in general it's true in the specific that um like if all you can do is sort of like come up with the you know intellectually defensible cerebral argument for something uh but you can't point to the way in which it's like actually valuable for you um it's sort of makes it a little suspect um but so i like this and this is and i think this is sort of where it was like trying to be going it's just like other times it just gets kind of like stilted and wonky with how it um because there's other but like it'll there's this vibe to parts of this song where it does feel oh this is just trying like super but but then there's and i and i don't think like i don't think that's like what we're shooting for but it sort of like stumbles between the two so i really liked this part and, it's, and it was like well written the crescendo of the patronum but i but i like and um because it like does tie it to like he's he gets it both like the intellectual works but instinctual well and i think like and that's what makes it powerful is to get those two things up um so. Yeah, no, I like I like that. I think that makes sense. I, um, you know, we, we talked a lot about the the first between the, the difference between like the first and second time he cast it, mm-hmm. like the first time when he's killing the Dementor and the second time with Draco. In fact, the line here where he says, "But there are other lives to still be fought for: your life, my life, and Hermione Granger's life." That's when he was talking to Draco. Um, so, like, oh, is he like remembering that? Yes, yeah, so that, that's a remembered line mm. from when he was casting it for Draco, and so. Like that, that is the personal bit. And maybe that's that, I mean, maybe that's, that's the missing ingredient for him was like, it wasn't so much for him to be able to like abstractly recall that I thought of, I thought of my absolute rejection of death as the natural order. And he's like, so when it, when it feels kind of like it's jumping back and forth between like luxury and being all amped up, I think that's between him, like, uh, connecting with it emotionally and him remembering slash articulating it again for himself. And so, yeah. like, the, the abstract of, oh, yes, this is how it's done. Those are the ingredients. That all feels very, um, uh, you know, emotionally disconnected. Yeah. And then when he, he, again, recalls the very personal and awesome moment with Draco where he's casting the Patronus for him, 
Um, and then he brings it home here and he's like, no, where there's hope, there's life. And I won't, you know, no one's actually died yet and I won't let them. That, that makes it personal and that's what lets him cast it and bring him back out of, like, that's what lets him cast a Patronus while being exposed to a Dementor, right? Or to a hundred. I think the main difference here is that, like, while one targeted attack from a Dementor had him on the ground screaming, there's a hundred, but they're further away and they're not trying to eat him personally right now. It's just being in the blast radius yeah. of Dementors, right? So, yeah, but it was the... I, I think that's where... Um, that kind of jumping back and forth feel comes from he's he's trying to articulate for himself how does the patronus work again and then fueling it with the the personal um emotionally salient thoughts and memories and i think like the a big part of of why that first bit you know rubs me the wrong way is because it's so super close to and i don't know if like you've ever been in a dark place and people like well-intentioned people are basically end up like trying to talk you out of how you're feeling um <laughs> and, tried going for a walk yeah or, yeah or, it's not so bad maybe just think about how the, da, 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 um which just makes me stabby as fuck um and <laughs> makes me stabby <laughs> i like that <laughs> um and so and the the, the sort of like insidious thing about that is and so like that's like it was somebody who come well let me uh using the tools of rationality we can explore the possibility of your hypothesis that life is shit um like it will even you know our brains will fool us into thinking later like you know we all just have these sort of like ebbs and flows to how we're feeling and and at the same time we are thinking thoughts and we are often full of shit um and those two can combine to for you to think that the reason you have started to feel better is because of the fabulous way you thought your way out of the terrible place you were in. And it's just complete, you know, bullshit. Um, but we kind of like don't have anything else to hang it on. And so, and I think, and then a lot of people like you will think like, if you like come out of a dark place, you will, it's whatever you happen to be thinking at the moment that you came out of it, you think is the reason. Um, and then that seems like just awesome. And you know, the great revelation that you need to share with other people. Um, and explain to them how they can think their way out of feeling shitty, uh, and that's and that's like probably not the uh, where this was trying to go, but like it's so close to that that I'm like, oh come on, um, and like every like we all have our own like weird little struggle for how we we get through this stuff, and it's usually like it is something that connects like later this like kind of more emotionally raw way he puts it, um, but like I don't I just don't buy it that the tools of rationality helped him to like find his happy thought. Um, I mean it's, it's not like that's you know, some magic bullet answer to any of this stuff. But, um, and I, I mean, on the other hand, it's just like, oh, this, like all of those are valid things. And it's like, okay, this is a, a place that where it makes sense to bring, bring that up. But I think that's part of like why it like, it feels like it hits flat for me though. No, I totally feel that. And it, you know, especially since people's experiences vary. Um, I don't know if the author has any like, you know, personal direct experience in his own mind with depression. Um, I know that he knows people who have it that are very close to him, so maybe that's yeah. uh, or who do struggle with it, and you know, like. Well, everybody, like, even if you don't have like some diagnosable whatever, like everybody has like horrible dark times that they go through, and feeling hopeless. So. And you know, so, sometimes, like I said, for me, um, sometimes the frontal lobe approach does help when there is an identifiable cause. Like, oh yeah, I'm bummed out because I took Molly this weekend. Um, like that actually does help. Yeah. It does elevate my mood because I can say, "Oh, I'm not depressed. I'm I'm having, I'm feeling depressed because of what yeah. I did a few days ago." 
and that that actually does help. Yeah. And um, that experience is actually like so. That's even like a, like I can get really invested in that idea because it's, it's like a, that scary feeling of okay, everything you're thinking right now is bullshit. You're like take on the universe right now is bullshit and that you feel like you're just like floating free like there's you have nothing to hang on to except like you're just sort of like trying to ignore like okay you're you're the absolute certainty you feel about the hopelessness of this situation is wrong so just ignore every input you're getting right now and hang on until it gets better like that's like a totally frightening like that's the right thing to be doing in that moment but it's also like totally unsettling and frightening and and like so like that whole thing I'm like oh yeah i totally relate to that um yeah but yeah and I, then it's just sort of like then but but like if i was gonna like try to can you imagine like trying to tell somebody that as like advice like okay here's how you should deal with your dark time is just you know hang on <laughs> yeah i i i can't and i i think in defense of this i mean well you're not really attacking the story yeah. you're just explaining how it made you feel well because and he did and like he did both um, too i mean so it, like it's both at the same time so well and he's not saying here's how you should tackle depression yeah. this will work for you too this is how harry is overcoming an outside influence that's darkening his mind right so it's this isn't generalizing advice this is just how the character in the story overcame being near dementors so it it I, I wouldn't read it in the prescriptive sense of like, and you can do this too with these three easy tricks. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the closest I've come to having to do that is to talk somebody down from a bad trip. And luckily they'd actually read the story and I reminded them of this bit. And I was like, okay, you remember when Harry was talking himself out of this because all of his thoughts were insane because he was near Dementors? That's kind of, because this person had called and was like, I'm having a bad trip. And I'm like, okay, yeah, remember this? And this might actually not have been the best visual to put in their head, but I couldn't remember, I couldn't think of anything else to do. So I was just telling them about this. And I was like, everything you're thinking and feeling right now is completely suspect. Just disregard it and try and focus on something else. Like, because, and especially, that's not, that's not helping someone treat, you know, a a depressive episode. That's helping somebody, Mm -hmm. you know, get through drugs, which is very different. Um, I, I generally don't give advice to people about how to overcome whatever's troubling them. I have things that work for me. And if they ask, I'll say, here's what works for me, but seriously, your mileage may vary and don't, you know, if this doesn't work, that doesn't mean that nothing will. This is just my stuff. Um, cause like everyone's mileage varies, yeah. right? Everyone's situation is different and what works for one might probably won't work for another. And I'm pretty sure that the author is aware of that. That's why I get the impression that this is more just like, this is how Harry did it. Not this is how you should do it. And I mean, and, and like on the flip side, it's like also this can be a piece of like whenever like we all work out our own sloppy version of, of how to deal with it like that. This could be part of, you know, whatever somebody is doing to to get through that. I think like the, the danger is like we're so um, it's so easy to to think that whatever was happening at the time it got better is the reason why. Um, and then like, and then we sort of latch on to like, okay, shit, especially cause like, it's such a, you know, if you so badly want to get, get out of a, you know, a place like that, that you, you know, we hunt around for, you know, what weapon can I use against this the next time it happens? Um, so yeah, yeah. no, I, I feel you. It's, it's intense. And I hate to just like kind of, uh, grab the steering wheel and, and shift gears too hard <laughs> here. But, um, I feel like this is a really interesting uh, exploration, especially, you know, that's the whole point. Books make you feel stuff and it's worth talking about. But um, uh, to put it, to go all frontal lobby on it, we're only about half of the stuff we wanted to cover. So um, I've, I, this is actually a good time to make a meta note that when I prescribed these three chapters, I forgot that I prescribed the third one. And so uh, 
there was a lot more to cover than I initially expected. So that's the other reason we're doing today. I wonder if we should just, because, uh, just finish this chapter and then, because there is a lot. Um, and then like next week we 56 and more. The downside is we already told everyone to read to 56. Let's see how far we get. Oh yeah. I mean, because there was a lot. I don't want to, um, I don't want to start going like yada, yada, yada. Yeah, me, me either. So I guess we'll see how far, how long the rest of the chapter takes us and see where we're at when we get to 56. Alrighty. So basically, um, so then, so in the next, like, then like having come back a little bit more to his senses, then Harry has his like sort of internal conversation at the, the Jedi council of Harry's mind. Um, and I think, and this is where like Harry considers that like, okay, maybe all of this was a plan by Quarrel. Um, that's like his inner Slytherin. Yeah, which I like that it's his inner Slytherin giving like mm-hmm. the most sinister explanation. Because and th- and I think that's fair. Like so so Dumbledore or Gryffindor and Hufflepuff are like because he's evil. We told you so. Mm-hmm. And Harry's like, no, that doesn't make any sense. We were going to commit the perfect crime. The R could have been obliviated. The corridor repaired. It wasn't too late, but it would have been too late if he had died. And then Slytherin puts this awesome you know Slytherin twist on it and says. But Professor Quirrell never was really planning to commit the perfect crime. He wanted the crime to be noticed. He wanted everyone to know that someone had killed an oar and broken Relatix Black out of Azkaban. He could have prepared some kind of evidence, some kind of proof that would reveal your involvement and use it as blackmail against you, and you'd have been bound to him forever. And then uh, that, that thought hits him so hard that his Patronus almost goes out. And he's like, no. And then, yes, said the other three parts of him. <laughs> I think it's like, like all but, the parts of him. I think it's interesting that he so, like, identifies like, as the um, Ravenclaw. Like, that's the him, him. And the other three are just parts of him. Yeah, there are other parts where he does break Ravenclaw up uh, into its own thing. But there only seems to be the three houses right uh, now. And then he's the Ravenclaw left. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, but then he's... Th- so you found that, that argument somewhat compelling. Um, that Professor Quirrell was never really planning on committing the perfect crime. Yeah, I'm not like, like, oh, that's definitely a case, but I'm like, oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's definitely on the table. Yeah, no, I think it's, on the table sounds like a good place. I, I just, I find his, uh, his retort to his other inside here equally compelling, where he says, uh, no, that still doesn't make sense. Like, Professor Quirrell had to know I would turn against him the instant I saw him kill an Auror, and that I might go ahead and, you know, confess everything to Dumbledore, hoping to plead the, the true fact that I was tricked. And here's the, like the more Slytherin way of putting it. Like in terms of blackmail, does his killing an Auror against my will really add all that much to me breaking Bellatrix Black out of Azkaban without with my willing help? Like it would have been more cunning to keep the evidence of my involvement with the basic crime, and he could pretend to be my ally for as long as he could, and then saving the blackmail for use only if it became necessary. Yeah, no, and I guess I, I could see it more as like um, not about like what would you get caught, but in a more like quirly brainwashy kind of way of you have just participated in a murder. Um, and not some like, what does that mean about what you would get caught or whatever? It's just like, no, now you are a person who has participated in a murder. Come to the dark side. Yeah, but I'm, I'm with I'm with Harry on that, or I, I guess I'm with his, his uh, Ravenclaw side <laughs> on that. Like, you know, he didn't participate. He was there and didn't want the guy to die. Like, you're, you're as, you're as yeah. much a participant as, well, no, but as, like, as I if he was locked in a box and made to watch. But Quirrell could have been, like, so clear, this is not the way Quirrell thought this was going to play out, but... Um, like, but if you're Quirrell and this is a plan and you probably, and you can't like specifically plan it, but you're like in the back of Quirrell's head, he's like, okay, and we'll play it out to see if we can get caught a little bit because I'm Voldemort and I'm not at all worried about actually getting caught. Um, and that, you know, one of the ways that he's hoping this plays out is that, 
um, is that he does kill somebody or at least, you know, do a, a clearly despicable act um, and get Harry to play along. And that's just like, that's a way that you get him kind of more under your influence and just, you know, that then, then he, then Harry has to reconcile it in his own head. I am a person that did this thing. Um, and if he's just that, got, a, and if he's got him playing along, like, not okay, yeah, you didn't, you know, kill him on purpose or you didn't, but, but you're helping me cover it up. You're not telling people I did it. Like, that's like, kind of like grooming him into doing, you know, more and more evil shit. Yeah, that's, that's, that actually brings up the other point too, that like, so say he'd killed this or, and then they wake up Bellatrix, like before Harry has a chance to be like, excuse me, what the fuck? Because mm-hmm. uh, in fact, at this point, even we don't know that Bellatrix is unconscious. Uh, right. So for all all Harry knows is that he's going to have to keep the pretense up even after seeing Quirrell kill a cop. Mm-hmm. He's going to have to go over there and say, well done, you know, my stupid apprentice or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, or my my unwilling, you know, whatever right. the, the role he had for this subjugated person under him. Right. He's going to have to, you know, the character of Voldemort inside Harry is going to stand up and say, good job, let's keep going. Which is not at all what Harry would want to do, yeah. but that might kind of more pull him to, towards the dark side. Yeah. I think it's the only thing, and like Harry's not thinking about this because he doesn't know, but the reason that they were discovered at all is because of something that neither he nor Professor Cruel could have predicted. That apparently when Mr. Glowy Person gets too glowy, other Patroni start staring at it. Oh, yeah. Like, well, that, that was wasn't also something the, anybody knew and then or he, that they would have expected would happen. When he took the Patronus down, though, then all the Dementors know he's there. Like, the Dementors right, can see him once he takes the... Neither of them meant for that to happen. Yeah. Quirrell would never want to be unshielded in Azkaban. Oh, yeah. And uh, they, you know, he wasn't... Unless he was going to say towards the end, all right, wink out your Patronus for two minutes while I, uh, you know, while we stand here doing nothing. Um, yeah, and that's also, like, the other they, part of, like, you don't need, like, some secret knowledge for Quirrell. For when Quirrell was, like, telling Harry to calm the fuck down and not go nuclear, not go super cyan. Like, you don't need, a, like, a complicated secret reason about, like, oh, well, the magical blah, blah, blah. You'd be like, dude, you're being way too obvious and the whole Azkaban's going to see that we're here. Yeah, and I think since either of them couldn't have seen that coming, it couldn't have been part of Quirrell's yeah. master plot here. Yeah. But I think, I mean, but you could see, like, a, a broad plan that seems, like, very likely to have some kind of, you know, not specifically predicted success, but... The idea of, okay, we're going to go in and break up Bellatrix, which is a, like, not legal in the first place. Um, and then I'm going to do something bad and make Harry play along. Like, that's as a broad strategy and a goal that seems like pretty, like, uh, achievable. Like, he, he can't nail down the specifics of how it happened, but he, but you could broadly have a plan of, I'm going to bring Harry in here and I'm going to get him to participate in some bad shit to get him to become more bad. Um like there's lots of ways he can make that happen. Yeah. Well, and, in any case, yeah. Harry moves on from uh, not because I don't want to keep talking about it, but because we need to keep yeah. going. Um, he he's like, okay, well, I guess in either case, uh, we should probably have an awake Professor Quirrell because that makes more sense. And then he goes to like wake up Bellatrix, and he's like, oh, she's unconscious, which is good because then she wouldn't have heard me, you know, cast the Patronus mm-hmm. charm. Um, and then he, he reflects a bit that, like, maybe what Dementors take that the true Patronus can give back. And I don't know how he settles on the strength of a week. Yeah, um, that was a, it seemed like a whole, like, a weird little, like, unnecessary <laughs> internal conversation. Yeah. The, the other thing, too, yeah. is that, like, I'm assuming that the, the rate at which Dementors sap your magic isn't linear, right? She's been here for 10 years. I'm assuming 95% of her, of her magic was, was sucked out of her in the first month, right? So, like, getting back... A week would be like getting back point zero 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 one percent of your total magic when you were down to 
you know, whatever, another zero under that. It's not going to give you all that much power left. But um, I do like the idea that, like, it helps restore people because it actually did. Like, she she did say, I feel better now, yeah. which is weird uh, for somebody who's been in Azkaban for a decade. But um, so he's like, okay, cool. She can cast magic for me and maybe she can wake up Professor Quirrell and then maybe memory charm the, the aurors. So uh, that's when he goes to go wake her and she's unconscious. So he wakes her up with magic. And then, um, <laughs> uh, what to do with Professor Quirrell for, or for that matter, Bellatrix after the Porky took them out of where they're supposed to be, or where they're supposed to hand Bellatrix over to the psychiatric healer. Well, Harry could work that work that out along the way. It would probably have to be one. It would, excuse me. He would probably have to bamboozle the healer into doing something, which would take one hell of a bamboozling. Harry wasn't even <laughs> sure he wanted done, but he and Bellatrix needed to get moving now. I pulled that out because the phrase "one hell of a bamboozling" is too good to not read. So. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, oh yeah, so this is when he realizes that, um, you know, of course the downside is that, uh, Professor Quirrell can't disillusion himself or Bellatrix or the brooms and he was going to repair the wall and he had said that he couldn't take, you know, uh, disillusion the Patronus and that we couldn't turn off the Patronus because then the Dementors would notice that Bellatrix Black was missing and alert the Aurors and, ah, crap. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Oh shit. And then, and then we cut again, I believe, right? Yeah, so this government. is back to the back to the police headquarters, or I guess the whatever the station in Azkaban. But yeah, back back at the station. Back at the station. Um, this is where he opens the vanishing cabinet, and it just has this badass thing. Well, first off, he had apparently alerted uh, someone at the Department of Magical Law Enforcement, um, and vanishing cabinets I remember were a thing in. That's how. Um, uh, canon. Yeah, that's how Draco got let the Death Eaters sneak into Hogwarts. Right, so they they are surprisingly good at I guess moving past wards unless they're specifically oh you know what there's probably a vanishing cabinet spell in the security charms. Um, there you go. Anyway, uh, that might have actually been on uh, that guy's list, but I can't remember or that person's list rather. Anyway, um, I, and they say this over and over, which I really like. The wards permitted a few fast ways into Azkaban, yeah. all of them highly restricted, but there were no fast ways out. Uh, I think so it was like he, a dumb. I think it was only a couple of weeks ago. I realized that, um, and I think it was because the description here of the of Azkaban being this island out in the North Sea. I didn't connect that Azkaban is a prison island, and that sounds like Alcatraz, and that that's probably not a coincidence. I was late to the party. That's okay. I just realized, <laughs> like I think two years ago, that OJ Simpson was called the Juice because <laughs> OJ is like orange juice. So. We could all be late to things. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I was like, why would they call? Why would someone go by the nickname the Juice? I'm like, unless unless you're on steroids and that's like, you know, it's an open secret or something. And then I I, I don't know why or when it occurred to me. It was completely nothing related to OJ that I was just thinking about. And I was like, oh the juice, oh the juice, I get it. That, oh, that's funny. Um, yeah. So anyway, those happen. Anyway, so yes, Azkaban slash Alcatraz. Uh, so he. I, I like how the, just this is described and how it gives Amelia Bones like again this this air of super competence badassness. Yeah, I right? got very much like I, thought, I think I was specifically remembering um, the fugitive Tommy Lee Jones and the fugitive like all right the badass FBI cops have shown up like and she's like barking at right. orders and I thought that was cool. Yeah, barking at orders and the entire clan corps bad motherfuckers spill <laughs> in and and that's exactly what happens and so there's also like the thing where um, R. Lee you know. This is like a minute after he calls in the alarm. And he's like, okay, can Amelia Bones, like there's like rumors that she can teleport around uh, within the bounds of the DMLE. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And he's like, this is the sort of thing that gives rumors to that. Cause he'd called in the, in the alarm, not 50 seconds ago. And she comes barreling out of this thing. And then, uh, followed by another trio of hit wizards in full battle gear, then another trio of hit wizards, <laughs> then another broomstick team. And it's just like, you just imagine kind of like, you know, like the droids marching in one of the star Wars movies where it's just like, Oh, there's more and more of them. I'm not sure how many people they totally get, but it didn't occur to me until we were talking that I don't think like magical Britain has like a military force. I think it's just like the same thing as the oh, law true. enforcement force. So like, this is basically like the army is just showing up. It's also got to say like and, a, um, a, uh, end game vibe, like everybody like showing up through a teleportation portal. Oh my God. How did I not make that when I'm thinking about Endgame literally sorry. for five hours a day? <laughs> I love it. Playing your game for you. Sorry. No, no, that's good. <laughs> it's a good move. Um, so this is where he wakes up. Then it's cut scene change back to uh, Harry and he wakes up Bellatrix. And I like the, the phrasing. Uh, I'm afraid we've run into a bit of a problem. He's talking to his Bella dear. Have you recovered enough to do small magics? Which I think is just a... Magics. I, I don't know. Plural of yeah. Something about that I like. Um, it also Sounds implies that a, an obliviation is easy to do, which I don't yeah. know. You think I, I don't know how you make a spell illegal, but like, <laughs> well, I guess you just you make you make it illegal. I don't know how you make it impossible to do if it's easy, but like apparently a completely worn out, uh, half-eaten woman can cast a, an obliviation with some precision. So he just says, "All right, cool." Um, and easier than she could minute, wake but, up uh, Coral. Although I guess that says yeah. more about how badly fucked up Coral was than. How hard the spell is. Yeah, it's not clear. So Quirrell wasn't knocked out from a stunner, I guess. He was knocked out from the other thing, is my guess. Yeah. But then it, it scene changes back to Amelia Bones, who just stares down the... Uh, oh, you actually, you pulled out this quote. Oh, they, uh, Amelia didn't let her expression change. The, the part of her that was already mourning one hand got a little sadder and a lot more angry. Oh, wait. Or no, that, sorry. This is out of order. Oh, that is later. Wait. That, that's further down. Yeah, sorry. It's, it's this, this jumps back and forth between Harry and Director yeah, yeah. Bones a lot, so... This is just where she just like stares down the Dementor and oh, yeah. like, yeah, you know, not even blinking. And she's like, where's Bellatrix Black? And it just gurgles back and do not know. Which yeah, is, and she's sort of like yeah. conspicuously less affected by it than anybody else is. I think she's just, she's just hard as a rock. Um, and then it cuts back to uh, Harry trying to wake up, or rather Harry having Bella trying to wake up Quirrell doesn't work. And then she has him obliviate the R's last half hour of memory. Yeah, and there's and I pulled a quote, but I like lost the context of where I came from. But I think it was uh, as he was uh, bossing Bellatrix around and enjoying her obedience. Um, and so then he was talking. I don't think this is the spot. No, it's not the spot where he was having like internal conversation with himself. But um, oh yeah, let's hold off on that because that is a yeah. good one. But but, let's, let's but he is like thinking like okay, the the idea of having minions. Um, and how nice that would be, uh, and so. But he is like having this little internal struggle with himself. And it, actually, it wasn't so much like the significance of, of what he's talking about here. But this was another one of those like where the phrasing stood out to me. Um, so as he was sort of like scolding himself for his uh, fondness of having minions, he says, "Before that mind fraction was screamed into silence by his mortally offended remainder." Um, and that was again like this. Uh, there's been a couple other places where he talks about it's basically like splitting up. Anyway, this like rang the Horcrux bell for me, um, or at least like the way the the split brain of of Harry. Um, and that's like only like he's and this is only a little bit like just describing like his like own like internal struggle, but that it be keeps being sort of like explicitly described as 
you know, him being his his mind being split, um, or his soul being split. Uh, so it makes it like it just felt like another little dropped clue. No, yeah, I like that a lot. I, I honestly didn't make that connection. I just yeah. kind of like I think now I'm like hunting for those little be- things now because it's sort of like in the back of my head. So I'm like, oh wait a minute. So every time anytime he talk, talks about like Harry's mind being kind of like fractured, I'm. No, I love that. I think that's I think that's great. It's the it's a fun way to to read it read it. Um, there was oh that was this part. I thought that came later. There's uh, a part later where um, he's like deliberating on it more. But yeah, this one was just like a tiny part of his brain observed that it was very relaxing to have a minion that would just follow orders so unquestioningly. Because yeah. he's like, hey, cast these spells. Hey, carry that snake. And there's none of this like, why can't you carry it? And it's just like, oh man, this is nice. And like, I, I took that because I could totally relate. I don't know if you've ever watched like, I'm trying to think of other shows. You know, a lot of them have like the henchmen who'll just do whatever mm-hmm. you want. Um, I was thinking specifically of, uh, I think, Gary and Veep. It's uh, that show, oh, Julia Louis Dreyfus, where she plays the vice president. Yeah. And she's just got this guy who carries her bag around and, and like brings her tea and does whatever she wants. <laughs> and there's never of this like, well, are you sure? Like he's just completely like a house elf to her. And like part of me is like, that would be so cool of like, hey, I need a sandwich. Hey, coming right up. Like none of this, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. No I thought arguing it was him. weird though. Like uh, I think that was earlier when he was having his like little internal argument with his with his Jedi Council about because he says what like even a stone would be would enjoy that kind of loyalty or something. Um, yeah, I think that comes is that later. It's later? not in this little uh, again. This jumps back and yeah. forth a lot. So um, we're just looking at our notes. But I thought it was when. But I thought it was. I wasn't sure like how to take it because like like my my impression of it was like I'm like yeah I could see how that like that could be appealing but if. It felt like, like Harry's like fa- the, in the way he said like, well, anybody would just be like, you know, totally affected by that. I'm like, I don't know. It's like not a huge thing for me. I mean, yeah, I guess it'd be nice, but I'm not like, oh my god, that would be so great if somebody would just do whatever you wanted. So, but I'm like, not sure. Is that is that because Harry is you know like turning into this like greedy Voldemorty guy, or or am I just like, is that just not my thing? <laughs> or am I just or unusually may, maybe it's something more about me that I totally think that would be awesome. Yeah, so again, or, but, only if it was super willing. You know, you, you, yeah. I wouldn't want to, you know, mind break somebody until yeah. they, all, all they wanted to do was do what I wanted. But like, I don't know if someone wanted to do whatever yeah. I wanted, I think that'd be kind of cool. It was like um, there was something about the like the way Harry talked about it that it was like like something like very viscerally appealing about just the loyalty of another person. Cause I can totally see like the, like, Oh, I've got somebody to like do all my shit for me. But it was almost like, he was like, well, of course anybody would blah, blah, blah. Um, almost, almost like in the yeah. same way you'd be like, well, you know, that's just some hot chick on there. Of course I was checking her out. Like it was like on the same level, you know, it's just anybody would do that. I'm like, okay, well, okay, sure. <laughs> I think the line was like, uh, did you really like it was like it was in his internal monologue was like did you really just think you should work for me I would actually appreciate you <laughs> and then he's like what I, I you know of course I, I don't want that but you know how could I not respond to this that's where that whole yeah. thing came from but yeah so um, Bellatrix fails to wake up Professor Quirrell and then he has her carry it and then he's just like follow and uh, she's she's walking partly under her own power I think he's able to lift like more than yeah. half her weight with his Wingardium Leviosa um, but she does have to walk a bit. So, uh, then I like this too. It's, it's from, um, uh, well it's, yeah, I guess it's, uh, from 
Amelia's point of view, but the first paragraph doesn't sound like it because it's kind of funny. It's just like, it was starting to get crowded in the duty room, almost too crowded to breathe. Though there was space around Amelia herself, and if needing to breathe meant you had to crowd direct to bones, it was better not to breathe. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, it's just like kind of like status update. What's going on? It's like, well, no response from from one hand's mirror. And she's just doing that whole thing of like, damn it. He had seven months left until retirement. (laughs) And uh, after a full century of service, which is hardcore as fuck. um, But then she's just like, again, the whole, I I think it's just hilarious playing with that trope of, well, he's wearing a red shirt and he's about to retire. Of Mm -hmm. course he's dead. And she's trope savvy enough to be like, oh man, he was just about to retire. (laughs) And (laughs) um, then this is where, uh, she gets an update that, hey, we found a hole in the roof over sea spiral, still open, ward circumvention still active. And, and then like, her, that her, was how they, that told them, I think it was because the wards were still active. That's what like let them know, like, oh, they're still in the building. Yeah. And Amelia's lips peeled back like uh, in a smile, like a wolf opening its jaws to eat. <laughs> and then um, she talks about how like they've got people in the air and uh, doing, I guess, whatever, some sort of circuiting laps and, um, she's assigning people to different spirals. And she's like, all right, we're not going to go, you know, hang out at that sea spiral. They could, they could pump, they could just punch another hole out. So we're going to just go down layer by layer and just cover every inch. And, uh, <laughs> um, then she's thinking, man, I wonder if I should call Dumbledore, but God, God man, he's so annoying. Forget it. <laughs> so then again, she's just as paranoid and as, as in, uh, intense as you'd want someone to be in the situation. She's like, all right, if you catch them, make sure that they're, uh, you know, the real criminals and not our own people forced to take polyjuice. If anyone behaves oddly, check them for imperious, keep each other in, in sight at all times. And then there's this last kind of heavy line. She says, no aura is above suspicion unless they have no family left to threaten. Mm-hmm. I like it. It's, it's just really good. at like adding the whole cop. Show. It's like a graduate from like cop show to, I'm not sure what to like, uh, Die, like R-rated like cop show. die hard or something like I don't know like the like now the FBI is here and yeah there's goons with machine guns yeah it it gets it's even more amped up yeah but just then uh, I don't I, yeah something just that that line I think delivers gravity on yeah. purpose and it works well so then this part kind of goes by sort of stunted but it's the part where um, it's back at Harry mm-hmm. and he's walking through and he's just thinking okay well. Um, the idea was to walk back out the way we came, but of course they're going to be checking from the top down because why wouldn't they? So then he's thinking to himself, well, if it was just a war game, what would General Chaos do? <laughs> from which an answer followed instantly. And then Harry's thinking, well, if it was that easy, why hasn't anyone broken a basketball before? And then he realized a possible problem. And he's like, fine, what would General Chaos do about that? Whereupon General Chaos had come up with an amendment to his first plan. It was, it was the most insanely Gryffindor thing Harry had ever... Um, so like it, it's not clear what his plan yeah. is, but he's coming up with something insane. And I like this picky, picky, picky. You said Gryffindor, mm-hmm. who was complaining about not having a plan one minute earlier. You should be glad we came up with anything at all, Mister. Now we're doomed. <laughs> <laughs> I the um I get lost a lot. I don't I don't know if it's the again the like scrutiny levels of reading, but when it, it, I feel like a lot of time like oh, I'm having to just like pay way too much attention to keep track of what so we're being told like oh there's a plan but i'm not going to tell you which like works here but like sometimes like things will just get lost in description that um 
and then I'm like, oh, is this one of those points where I need to like go back and reread something, or like, because it's hard to distinguish between, oh, this is you know a mystery being left out versus, oh, you were told this somewhere and you just didn't notice. I totally feel you, yeah. and luckily this is one of those uh, one of the first scenarios yeah. where like he he didn't like there's no hint where it says like this is what the plan is. Yeah. Um, it's just all we get is some vague hint that he had that he's thought of something insane, and that's it. Yeah. So, but I do feel you. Like it would be nice. I, I I don't know how you explicitly just unless you're going to put in brackets like as the author. I didn't say what the plan is yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's no way to broadcast that. But um, there's. Uh, it, so because Harry Rat reasons that they're probably going to work their way down from the police headquarters at the top of the prison, they're probably going to work their way down one at a time, one level at a time. They're moving down just to buy time. Yeah. And so then Bellatrix is like, are we going back to my cell? Uh, I would very, I just imagine you're kind of like very like politely like raising a finger and be like, uh, I would really rather die, but I'll go back if you want me to. But it's actually much more sad. I came across more like dark. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's just I'm maybe it's just the uh the time we've been sitting here talking about it. But yeah, it's it, it is very much of a of a sad scene and he's just like, We're not going back to your cell. And uh oh yeah, this is where he's thinking, um, did you seriously just think you ought to work for me? I would appreciate <laughs> you. <laughs> and then uh basically it's he's having that whole kind of like the thing we talked about a minute ago. And then, then this part is Man, this this is another heartbreaking moment too. Yeah. So, it's and I, I mis- summarize yeah, it. I misread this as well uh, in a sort of a disappearing, disappointing kind of way. But so so they're uh, as they're heading further down, they uh, among the many place uh, doors they pass, they, they again uh, pass a cell door, and the presence of Harry's um, Patronus is making again people feel well enough to feel bad. Um, and so there's some woman and he's just hearing, and I, this is the one where she, she's like in this like infinite loop of, she has killed someone and they are dying. Uh, and she is, you know, sad that they are dying, but she's like looping through this over and over again. So that's the hell that she's in. And so, and Harry's hearing it and, uh, and he's, and he's like caught up in it again where he can't, it's too hard for him to, um, just ignore it and keep going on. And he has this little, another little aside, it's sort of like oddly places, like, and this is, the, the, knowing that uh, that Quirrell hadn't had his, like, hearing, hadn't had everything silenced, and that he was hearing all these things, and that it didn't bother him, uh, was like like a checkbox for Harry. He's like, oh, because Quirrell's like, this is how I know that Quirrell is evil. Um, which, like, in the back of my head when I read that, I'm like, this, like, it took that one? Like, <laughs> you had a lot of other things to work with, but... Um, but then he does have this, and I t- I'm actually still uh, not sure where, where the the direction that it was supposed to go in was. But um, so Harry has he's got this struggle that he's he just says, okay, fuck it, he's going to use his Patronus and he's going to save this woman, um, and that that might kill him, but it might not. And he doesn't. And it's this sort of like, okay, is this? It's he's like this internal math of like, okay, the greater good and blah 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 but so the quote i pulled was um as he's like trying to decide you know do i stick to the plan or do i just help this woman who's who's in hell um it says lofty goals seemed very distant very abstract compared to one woman begging him for help it wasn't certain that harry would ever do anything more important than this one thing this one thing that he could do now and here 
Um, and as I, I like highlighted that as I as I was reading it, and it was like, yes, okay, finally. And then right after, I'm like, oh wait, no, we're not doing this. Because um, I like where I thought this was going was like Harry having this like, okay, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know I can help this right now. Um, and like it doesn't like plot wise, it doesn't work out. But where I thought we were going was like Harry deciding to like um, take a like it would be like acknowledging his lack of information uh, and choosing to do like a locally good thing because he knows he knows he can do good in that moment and. Like it doesn't it doesn't fit into a large logical picture of, of how things play out, but but having it was it was the sort of like no dude you need to be listening to Hermione and not being worried about sentient grass, um, <laughs> but apparently we're still going to be worried about sentient grass um, because he like he doesn't do it because to me like and, and I th- and I think that it is like we do see Harry's like ambivalence about it and um, and it like carries through but. Um, so I, just, I, I don't think it was like, okay, and then Harry chose otherwise, and that's just clearly the, the best decision. Um, but yeah, I was like disappointed. So I'm like, oh, yeah, you need to be more like this, Harry. And he's like, oh, I will know. But but he's at least like, okay, but like he he almost did. And like, and those like feelings are, are happening with him. But uh, but yeah, I was like, I was like psyched up. I'm like, okay, yeah, he's going to like stop being like so Vulcan about it. And then he wasn't. Um, so I was just, but the way it, um, but as he does decide and he goes through a hole, then he like promises on a stack of Harry Bibles that he, one day he will come back and burn this place to the ground. Um, but that he does, it's sort of like his like greater good, um, idea about it. Uh, and then, but then another little quote for that, as he sort of like makes that decision and it's really hard for him and he doesn't like it, but that's how he decides. Um, when it says what there should have been a ceremony for Harry's sacrifice of that piece of himself, um, which was it like it was like that was hard and that was a, a decision he hated making, um, but then that was another one of these little specifically chosen phrases that reminded like that is Harry split apart into little Horcrux pieces. Um, I do like reading it through that lens where you can you just put a bullet point that just said, you had that quote and then you just said Horcruxes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I think so in, in that scene like the the order of events that goes down is he hears the voice and then he's just like. Oh, fuck, man. Jesus, this sucks. Because he's thinking that he, the porky he's carrying could only transport two humans plus or minus a snake. And that, like, mm-hmm. even if he can get her out of that room, he can't, they can't get away with her. Um, so, like, all, all that he would accomplish by breaking her out of that room right now would be just, you know, attempted prison break and then she'd be caught and go back to jail. And so uh, that, that that's where he's just like, uh, you know, I guess I got to keep going. So he goes he goes to keep walking past. And then when she like feels the presence, the Patrona's leaving, she screams like, please don't, you know, don't go, don't take it away. And then the light grows brighter and it's doing that thing again. Mm-hmm. Well, then she says very sadly, please, I can't remember my children's names anymore. I know that was rough. I know. And then he's, t- he's like, all right, sit down, Bella. I have to deal with this. And then he's going to, then he, this time he's going to do it on purpose. He's going to do the crazy bright Patronus mm-hmm. and kill all the Dementors. And this is where he had that line where like, about lofty goals and such but he says he's thinking to himself i'll die and the air went on brightening and he's like well i might i might not actually die isn't this worth a probability of dying and then um he's so he it's like in the in his more frontal lobe parts he's trying to like talk himself out of this Mm -hmm. but he's doing it anyway because it's the like you know what would hermione what would what would god regriffindor do thing right Mm -hmm. and then the only thing that gets him out of it is so he's wiping his way he's he's winding his way up to doing it 
and he's like, all right, I'll kill the Dementors and I'm going to save her. And like, you know, uh, yeah, sure. We'll get in trouble, but I'm pretty sure that will cement my reputation as a light Lord. And he's <laughs> worried that like, you know, I'll lose all my support mm-hmm. and you know, we could, we could lose the wizarding war against Voldemort or whatever. He's like, no, are you fucking kidding me? Everyone's going to love me after I do this. And um, then he, this was the line where it says, I meant to accomplish more with my life than this. I was going to fight the dark Lord. I was going to merge the magic, the wizarding and muggle worlds. And that's where the line was, lofty goals seemed very distant, very abstract, compared to one woman begging for begging him for help. It wasn't certain that he'd ever do anything more important than this. And so, and with what might have been his last breath, Harry thought, there are other Dementors, probably other Azkabans. If I do this, I should do it when I'm closer to the central pit. It'll take less of my life that way and increase the probability that I'll survive to destroy other Dementors even assuming that this is the optimal thing to do, if there's a right time and a place to do this, it isn't now in here. And so that's where he starts to bring himself back down. Not because he deci- not because he suddenly decided, no, I've got to carry out the mission or whatever. It's like, no, if I'm going to save this one woman, I can do it when I'm ready to save everybody. And he, he's not even resolving to do that like in 10 years. He's saying maybe just when I get to the bottom of Azkaban. Yeah, it was, but again, it was, and I, and I think that's part of, uh, what's bent with the like you know should have been a ceremony for Harry sacrificing that piece of himself but but it's like but he doesn't like that and that wasn't and it wasn't like a like a a perfect decision um but 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 it was like he had basically talked himself like there was the thing he wanted to do for like good not, good reasons like not not situationally good reasons but for admirable reasons the thing he wanted to do and then he talked himself out of it and the, the reasons he didn't do it were um were correct but were um were logical uh, as opposed to like like what he wanted to do and what, and like as like the way of this whole plot was like like played out like this was the right way to go but there's like there was a way that I, and I, a way that I thought this was going that you could see this going where where it wouldn't be like where it wouldn't be like okay to choose to do that isn't like definitely a terrible idea but also maybe a terrible idea um, and that and the the waiting until later idea didn't wasn't quite as clearly the better way to go where there could have been a lot more a situation with a lot more ambiguity but still like definitely bad possible bad consequences for him you know choosing to help but where you could have seen that where where harry is saying okay i don't know what's going to happen i don't know what the best decision to make is but i know that good will come of this decision right now um, and choosing to do that and sort of like acknowledging like my like, OK, I'm having to make this decision in I'm having to make a shitty decision in an environment of a lack of information, but I'm going to do the best I can to do the good thing that's right in front of me. Um, and that's kind of like where I thought that was going. That's just kind of like a more like raw connection to just like the intent to do good. Um, and it did like the way like this all played out and the things that were going on. OK, that isn't the right way to go. But I was like disappointed that it didn't go that way. Yeah, I feel you. It. Like he sort of rational, ration, rationality to himself out of you know saving her, yeah. um, which sounds super counterintuitive. Um, like you're, we're you know, and you acknowledge that like it it's it's clear that like there there is a better time to do this, yeah. but it just seems weird to talk yourself down out of saving somebody. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and I th- and he's like yeah. and like he correctly has, and but like he thinks that it sucks what he's the the choice he makes he hates. Um, yeah. And it, it's, I think it's actually, um, there's a line where, uh, let's see, I'm trying to find, um, 
Yeah, so when he's thinking this, uh, when he's swearing on his stack of Harry Bibles, he's, since he's still invisible, he's literally crying. Tears mm. stream down his invisible cheeks. Um, like, it it broke him a bit to have to yeah. do that. So, I mean, there, there's heavy emotional impact there. But, yeah, it's it's it does seem like it violates what you want out of a hero to be like, wait, you just talked yourself out of saving me? Yeah. Like, you left me in hell? Um so he, I mean, she, she he, he's gonna have to walk away while she screams for him to come back. It doesn't actually like play that for us. Um, maybe being in front of the you know, uh, Mister Glowy person on full blast, maybe that gave her enough strength to not scream for the next five minutes till he's out of earshot or something. Oh wait, you know what? Never mind. I'm sorry. I just I found that line. As the two of them walked on, as the a murderess's voice screamed and begged for someone to come back and save her. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is literally listening to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think no, as, I mean, you know, as we're talking heavy. this through um, again, I think there is more. I think on first reading, I took it as being that he was a little more on board with the like, okay, this is the right decision to make, and let's go carry on. Um, so we are like he does, like he hates that he's doing this. So I like that he hates that he's doing it. But, yeah, me too. It would be weird if he was like, no, no, this is a utilitarian choice. I'll be back, yeah. and like he was just fine with it. No, yeah. he's clearly feeling the gravity of it. Um, he says that. Uh, so Harry walked on, leaving a piece of himself behind. I also liked that when it describes that when he's coming down from Super Saiyaning, that the light slowly di- slowly died back down. A part of Harry's life flowed back into him. A part had been lost as radiation. Hmm. Like it, it's illustrative of just how much it takes to to do this. Um, and it's just good writing. I like those yeah. lines. Uh, so so Harry walked on, leaving a piece of himself behind. It would dwell in this place and time forever. He knew. Even after Harry came back someday with a company of other true Patronus casters and they destroyed all the Dementors here, even after he melted the triangular building and burned the island low enough that the sea would wash over it, leaving no trace that such a place had ever once existed, even then he wouldn't get it back. Yeah. Anyway, heavy shit. I like it. Um, Then we get another scene change to one of the people, uh, or rather, it's uh, back with Director Bones again. And, and the a minor flock of luminous creatures had stopped staring downwards. And she's just like, was that like last time? And they're like, yes, ma'am. And he's like, okay. She's thinking, I know, it's such okay, a creepy well, image. And, like all huh? your little, it's such a creepy image. All your like magic creatures, like staring at the floor. Yeah. Especially like, cause they're, you know, usually associated with nothing but bright mm-hmm. positivity. And they're like, wait, why is it being weird? Yeah. That's so uncomfortable. Um, like, oh, like all our super, really powerful creatures are all freaked out about the same thing right now. <laughs> the fuck right. is going on and i'm picturing it like uh i don't know if anyone has a cat but i think all cats do this where they just stare off at nothing mm-hmm. like just over your shoulder and it's like what the hell are you looking at and like if your patronus started doing that mm-hmm. it's like but i trusted you what do you see that you, <laughs> you're not telling me um so then it, this is actually from uh emmeline vance this is her perspective not uh director bones and apparently she's a former order of the phoenician which i like how you put it um <laughs> i learned that when i worked for GoDaddy. that's what the we- <laughs> the weathermen on on phoenix on phoenix arizona news refer to uh as, as phoenicians. phoenicians much in the way that weathermen refer to people from los angeles as angelinos when no actual person from la will ever call themselves that but, i've heard phoenicians before i've never heard angelinos angelinos Angel- yeah, this, yeah, Angelinos across that the sounds like, That sounds so, like what only something Angelina only- Jolie's fans yeah, would yeah. call her, like how Justin Bieber has called themselves believers. <laughs> yeah, we're Angelinos. Angelinos. I don't know. Yeah, it's something you won't only ever hear a news anchor say. Much like a, that a, makes a, sense. a Phoenician. 
Um, so Emmeline Vance is thinking, okay, well, she didn't want us to contact Dumbledore, it sounds like, but this seems like a really good time to do it. And, uh, well, so she, she didn't think that Director Bones had pro- prohibited it, but she would have contacted him if she'd wanted to. So she's just like, she's like, ah, eh. we're all on the same side. Yeah, exactly. Fuck it. We need to get the big guns in here. And so I like this. She brings her little silver sparrow to her shoulder and says, drop behind us and guard our rear. Wait until no one is looking directly at you. Then go to Albus Dumbledore. If he's not already by himself, wait until he is. Tell him this. Bellatrix Black is breaking out of Azkaban and the Dementors cannot find her. Which is just heavy and ominous. And where I thought this week's readings left because I knew we had a lot to cover. So <laughs> I want to, I think we should. Because it's a whole. You hold yeah, let's hold it because like because there's a lot to talk about in the next chapter. Yeah, it's not uh, that long, which is why I think I included it at my quick glimpse. Yeah, but like it's Dumbledore uh, shows it's up. Yeah, content it's, dense. Yes. So, um, yeah, let's leave fifty six for next time. Which you know we're about halfway through this book. If that's the only time this has happened, I'm okay with it. So, and as far as the actual schedule then for next week, we're going to redo chapter fifty six, and then we'll do fifty seven and fifty eight, which. I don't think I'm biting off more than we can chew that time. Let's see. So. You know what? Listen, everybody. Double check before you go reading 58. I, you know, I think spoilers for somebody reading along is not as nearly as big a deal. I don't think people are going to be miffed that they read 56 and we haven't talked about it yet. No, it's, I mean, it's, it. you know, all they have to do is, you know, enjoy it twice or wait a week to hear us talk about it. But. I think we spent a lot of awesome time talking about, you know. Yeah, and I don't. I mean, yeah, and the next that I really yeah, enjoyed the stuff with Dumbledore and uh, yeah. I don't want to like. It's got some meat to it. I don't. I don't want to skim that. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, same here. And I, yeah, I don't know why I'm belaboring, belaboring <laughs> on this so long. We are going to say fifty six for next week because. Uh, you know what? It's late on a Saturday, and we still got to get this out by Monday morning. So uh, we'll say 56, 57, and 58 for next time. So uh, other than that, did you have anything you wanted to mention or throw in there, Brian? Uh, no, I don't think so. I like these I like in these chapters, though. It's good stuff. Cool. Yeah, me too. I'm going to check very briefly here. I've got the, uh, um, the link open, but I don't know, for some reason my browser is super slow i am checking right now to see if they've announced when the first game club episode is coming out because if it hasn't been announced yet then i can't tell you guys when to tune in um that was the one that uh they're going to cover uh hollow knight and i do not see it on the calendar if you guys go to doofmedia.com slash calendar you can see the great release schedule of what's coming up this month and ours is really easy because it comes out on the same day every week but yeah, man, I'm not seeing Game Club yet, so that's not my bad. That's on them. But I'll have news for you by next week uh, when Elliot is, uh, I think Ruben, too. I think they're both they're both doing it. But um, those are the, our, fo- our friends from Australia who did the uh, are they both in Australia? Impact series. What both was that? those guys are Australian. Yeah. It'd be really hard. Man, I can't imagine trying to coordinate I this. Know. Like, I think kind uh, of lag from... I think, yeah, Scott Daly. Well, yeah, not just the lag over Skype, <laughs> but uh, Scott Daly is is an hour ahead and doing you know conversation episodes with him. Yeah. I'm mindful of the fact that like I'm tired at ten, he's probably more tired at eleven p.m. But trying to coordinate that across what seven or eight? How, I don't know what time it is in Australia. Probably depends where you are in Australia, but whatever it is, it's way too long. I think so. seven behind us. I think it's madness. 
Anyway, time's crazy like that. So, speaking of time, we'll see you back same time next place. Ne- wait, same time, same place next week. That was almost smooth. For chapters. Almost. Huh? That was almost smooth. Almost. <laughs> I know, I dropped, I, I juggled and dropped the ball, but, you know, whatever. We'll see you back here same time, same place next week for chapters 56, for real this time, 57, and 58. Bye, bye, everybody.